Meanwhile, back at the Hall of Justice, our mild-mannered podcasters were bombarded by gamma rays, bitten by radioactive bugs, mutated by toxic waste, irradiated with cosmic rays, born into a world that doesn't understand them. We'll start in three, two, one. Aaron, finish chewing. Look at him. Terrible. Oh, so unprofessional. Look at that. He's still chewing. All right. Eat it. All right, I'm doing it. <laughs> Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Talking Comics Podcast. Today is Wednesday, August 23rd, and you are listening to episode number 612. I will be your host this week. I am Joey Burcino, and joining me for this week's show are Mr. Bob Ryer. Well, since Dorothy Parker was born on this date in 1893, beauty's only skin deep, ugly goes clean to the bone. Nice. Aaron Amos is here. Hi, I'm ugly. <laughs> wow. And Steve is here. <sighs> but he's feeling under the weather, which is why I have the con this week. Hmm. We'll see how long he lasts. I forced it won't, be, it won't be long. He was contractually obligated to appear. Yeah, it's in my it's in my contract. <laughs> it's in his writer. Must appear on every show. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> I would have been um, fired a long time ago. Well, thank you for 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 joining us. Though I know that you're not feeling feeling too good, but yeah, it's always it, important. I feel like it started on last week's show when we were recording. I was like. Starting to feel, starting to feel like I'm going downhill. <laughs> and then the very next day, it was like an 18-wheeler just came and wound right over me. And well, uh, here I am a week later, and I still feel like crap. Well, that'll do it for this week's episode of the Talking Comics Podcast. Uh, we'll catch you later. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Um, so we'll do comics. Uh, Steve is going to hold on as long as he can. And then Aaron, Bob, and I will talk about Blue Beetle which dropped in theaters this past weekend um, did take the number one spot from Barbie. We'll see how long that lasts. Um, Barbie, I'm sure will reign supreme at the end of it. The barbs will rejoice and at, at, uh, knock it off its pedestal next week. <laughs> um, yeah. So we'll just jump right in because we, sh- we ought to Steve. Yes. Let's do this. <laughs> Um, I closed my notes. Damn it. We're I'll just in. We're vamping. We're I'll just, I'll just, we're I'll just talk to you. Um, so when we went to Flame Con, uh, we met up with Ben Khan, uh, was on the panel, got to hang out, walk around, and they were talking to me about comics naturally and asked me if I'd ever read specs. And I said, no. And they said, you should read Specs. I think you would like it. And I said, I will do that. And I followed through. So this Specs is, I read one through four. It's collected now. Uh, written by David M. Boer. Illustrations by Chris Sheehan. And colors by Roman Stevens with letters by Jim Campbell. So Specs is a monkey paw 
tale, if you will, uh, takes place in Texas. Sorry. Um, In like the late 80s, I'm going to say 87. There's definitely a Nintendo entertainment system in this comic. So I'm going to I'm going to say 1987. And it focuses on two teenagers. You have the white character who is also a gay male. And then you have his friend who is a black male. He is the only one in his school in Texas. Mm. Not a great combination. That could be 2022. (laughs) (laughs) So their names are uh, Kenny and Ted. Kenny is in love with Ted, but doesn't want to tell him because he doesn't want to sour their relationship. But... He goes and, sir, he finds a comic book. And in the back of this comic book, there are these ads for these, you know, outlandish prizes that you can, you know, collect all your things and send it in for. And we'll send you this thing. And there's an advertisement for wish granting spectacles, glasses, these like red shades. Right. And he's like, we should get these. And he's like, no, they're they're not going to work. This stuff is all crap. Right. And so they're like, just forget about it. Whatever. Later that night, the specs mysteriously show up at Kenny's doorstep at like 3 a.m. in the morning. And he brings them to Ted and he's like, yo, these showed up at my house. Like, should we try to use them? Sure. Yeah, let's do it. And so the wishes start small as they do. But lo and behold, the school bully, his name is Skunk, follows them into the woods and pulls a knife on Kenny. Ted intervenes and Kenny puts on the specs and makes a wish to make Skunk disappear. <gasps> Skunk vanishes, but not before he gets he stabs one of them and gets some of Ted's blood on the blade. So when the cops go to investigate, they find the, the blade with Ted's blood on it, but no body. And now they have to figure out how they're going to use the specs in order to wish their way out of a really terrible situation. There's all kinds of bigotry going on in this school. The people that are in charge of it are terrible. Um, They're clearly racist. Uh, Ted is being singled out because of his blackness, and they're, you know, basically putting him on trial in front of the whole school. Meanwhile, Kenny is trying to use the specs to wish him out of the jam. He's trying to make him, you know, perform well at the local baseball game so that he'll get picked up by a scout and move on to another school and be taken out of a terrible situation. Cat. My cat is eating stuff in this room. <laughs> um, And uh, it just, it's one of those tales. Naturally, it's a monkey paws thing where it spirals out of control. There's some weird realm where other people that have wished on these specs, they're basically, they can't be broken. They're forever specs and they come in different forms throughout time. And so they keep being reincarnated as different things for different generations of wishers. And so this is one story and a long line of cautionary tales about being careful what you wish for. And it's got a really unique ending that I like very much. And um, this was great. I this I have to message Ben and, and let them know that I really enjoyed it. Uh yeah, if you if you like Twilight Zoney things, if you like those uh, 
creepy monkey's paw like go into the shop and find the weird oddity and it turns out that it's cursed or possessed or whatever and uh it spells bad news for your main characters that's what this is all about it's really well done it's really well written um it doesn't dive too deep in it deep into the like themes that it's hitting on like the racial themes and um lgbtq themes like that but it is there and it does add a bit of flavor to the story and it does put a sense of urgency on what is happening to these characters because of who they are it makes the stakes of like them being uh figured for the death even worse than if it were to happen to someone else at the school um it's very cool i liked it uh it's from boom studios it's called specs it's collected you can get it for like 10 bucks and um yeah it was super good what else do i got here uh what did i write down i said oh god daredevil Okay, I was assuming that John was going to be here. I read it, bro. Did you? Hell yeah. What'd you think? Oh, you think? You, what did you think first? <laughs> I got to find my notes. Let me know what you thought. <laughs> we're vamping. We're vamping. <laughs> okay, Dude. here we go. Yeah, here you go. Here's the thing. Here's the, here's the things that I like. Like I said, I banked on John being here, so I don't have extensive notes for this. This is, of course, Chip Zdarsky and Friends. Uh the follow-up to the main run, 1 through 14, uh, I read because I wanted to be there for the end. This is Daredevil Matt Murdock and Elektra basically trying to form uh, the fist. The fi- do, you, do you want to explain who the fist is? <laughs> Joey, the, fi- the fist I'll is pass. the the, fi- <laughs> <laughs> the fist is the counter to the hand. And Elektra and Daredevil are prophesied to wed and lead the fist to finally put an end to the hand and their efforts to raise the beasts of hell. Right. Be thwarted by the foot and the big toe. (laughs) (laughs) Excuse me. Um, So there's this there's this book that's basically telling them how to get it done. Uh, The book I felt was kind of a stand-in for the Bible, knowing, you know, Matt's background and how much his faith is a part of his identity and how he manages his superheroing. And he's got this new this new Bible to follow that is basically magically filling in the pages to prophesize and tell him how to go about changing the status quo within criminality and within the world and protecting the people. And Matt brings along uh, several characters to make sure that they keep him in check uh, as he builds this army and goes about his way. And one of the things that he goes and does is he breaks a bunch of criminals out of jail and is looking to basically reform them through making uh, making them members of the fist. One of these inmates is Bullet. And one of the things that I really, really liked about this story was how much Bullet was questioning Daredevil's plan and basically challenging his motivation for what he's doing and asking him, why does he choose to rehabilitate criminals? Why not the people that live in the mansions? Why aren't you trying to make them see the light, make them you know, uh, abide to the faith and whatnot? Um, there's another really heavy angle to this. It is super spoilery. It kind of happens toward the end and joey i want to get your opinion can i spoil it because it's pretty major talking about issue 12 
Yeah. I'd say no. Um, oh, that's, it's so good though. Because now I want to read it. All uh, right. Well, let's just say done. let's just say Matt Murdock goes to a place that you don't think he would ever go. Bathhouse. Shake Shack. <laughs> Let's say that he goes to Shake Shack and then Steve, he goes to Shake Shack Shack? and there's something on the secret menu that's that's revelatory. And it 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 really it turns a lot of what you've known about this story on its head. It basically makes you it made me kind of press the pause button mentally. I went, wait a minute, what? Mm -hmm. And I thought back to prior events and I went. Oh my God, this whole time. It's one of those. It's one yeah. of those types of revelations. Um, there are kind of two prongs to this revelation. One of them I cared a whole hell of a lot about. The other didn't care about at all. <laughs> don't don't like that character. You'll you'll you know Joey knows who I mean. Those of you that have read it, maybe you can guess. Um, but one of the things that I absolutely love about Daredevil and Chip Zdarsky's run in particular. And if we ever get Chip on the show, one thing I would love to ask him is how does he balance a character like Matt Murdock? And a lot of people have done this, like writing Matt Murdock and writing about his faith is nothing new. You know, every creator that gets a stab at this character goes in that direction because it's a natural thing to do. But you have to be so careful when you thread that needle of talking about making a faith-based character without them being preachy and, and without turning off a portion of your audience. And personally, as somebody who doesn't have a lot of faith, it's very easy for me to get turned off by those types of stories. And I'm, I was fascinated by how Zdarsky and his team were able to do it in such a fascinating way where like I still felt Matt's pull toward toward the struggle of his faith versus his mission. And I just find that balance to be quite fascinating and, and exciting that people are able to pull that off. I don't think that it's an easy thing to do. Uh, and Zdarsky made it look easy in this, especially toward the end where there was a lot of it. They were laying it on thick. And it never felt forced to me. It was naturally woven into the story. Um, it was a very exciting conclusion. I'm curious as to what's going to be going on next. I think Saladin Ahmed is going to be taking over the character mm-hmm. and has already submitted uh, scripts for the first issue by the time that uh, 14 was published. And there's apparently four already in the can as far as artwork is concerned. And I'm excited to see where it goes. Like, I... I've been reading Daredevil for a while now between Charles Soule's run, um, Mark Wade's, I believe I read that too, and now Zdarsky. Was there anybody else in between that? There was Mark Wade, then there was Zdarsky. I think that's it. Was Ch- Charles Soule was before or after Wade? I think Charles Soule was after Wade. I think so. Yeah. Charles Soule did like a, it was like two years, maybe a two year yeah. run. Yeah, it wasn't. Yeah, it wasn't as, uh, and I had honestly, it wasn't as memorable as the the Wade run for me. But between the Wade and Zadarsky stuff, like I never would have 
thought that I would become a, a pretty hardcore Daredevil fan, but I just find the character really interesting, and I love seeing what creators do with it. I think he's a different, a difficult character to manage because of of a lot of the faith based stuff. Mm. I think you have to be very careful, and I think that watching these creators play with this character and do the exciting things that they do and all the Fisk stuff that came before this was absolutely fantastic. I was going to um, ask you had, you had read devil's reign and Zdarsky's yeah. first volume, yeah. right? Yeah. I have to admit, like I, I kind of, I, I liked devil's reign and I, and I liked the, the Fisk related stuff more so than the, the Punisher uh, stuff that we had in this run. Like mm-hmm. I felt like the Punisher stuff was kind of an afterthought. Like it was there, and then it well, and then it, it wasn't. Like he showed up for two issues. I wasn't. And then it was... I wasn't reading the main book. I wasn't reading Punisher. So yeah, I'm sure there's a lot more going on in there. You know. Yeah, I was kind of like they're like, oh, the the Punisher is you know the avatar of this, and I said, all right, like I guess that's what's going on in that neck of the woods. But the P- Punisher character, I've tried to get on board with him. I think I've read maybe one run by Greg Rucka that I really enjoyed, but other that's than that. That run was great. <laughs> yeah, like that run was really good. But like I tried Becky Cloonan's run, um, which I enjoyed okay. for a time. And then I yeah. think I just kind of fell off of it. Um, and then any other time that I've tried to get in that character, it just doesn't it doesn't resonate with me at all. I can't identify with him. And so I don't really enjoy reading him. But um, here it was just kind of whatever. I was much more interested in Matt's journey and was very curious as to how they were going to end it and where this character goes by the end of this story and kind of the final issue wrap up where we it's one of those final issues where we kind of make our way around to all of the main players to find out where they are uh i really like the stuff with goldie in this Mm. uh one through 14 run with him kind of being this um like puppet master if you will that he's got this power. I still don't know how he inherited it. I know that they told me, but I immediately forgot. But he's been kind of guiding Matt through all of his trials and tribulations and putting things in his way to form the the type of hero that like to inform the type of hero that he is saying, if I didn't, if those people didn't die, you wouldn't have saved them. You wouldn't have leveled up as Daredevil. You wouldn't be who you are without these tragedies. And after so many incidents with this character and so many examples of his fate being changed by Goldie's power, he starts to believe him Mm -hmm. and he starts to, again, lose faith. And it's just another credit to creative ways to challenge Matt through that, you know, a a part that is so ingrained in him and a part of a part of his character since the beginning. And uh, I just thought this was great. I really, really enjoyed it a lot. Uh, and I've been playing a lot of Pikmin for the end. <laughs> um, yeah, dude, Daredevil, Zdarsky's Daredevil. We were talking in the chat about like iconic Daredevil runs. And the thing about Daredevil is, I mean, particularly since the, the Miller stuff in the, in the eighties, Daredevil, Matt Murdock has always been one of the best characters in Marvel, like it just like his series somehow have been some of the have been the place where some of the best storytelling has happened. And I know in the chat we mentioned, you know, Bendis's run, Brubaker's run that followed up, um, even Andy Dig- Andy Diggle's um, 
um, kind of like coda on the end of Brubaker's run was was really good. Obviously, Mark Wade, which we all read here on the show. Um, Charles Souls wasn't half bad either. And then, of course, you have Zdarsky. And I think that like and Anosenti I mentioned in the in the chat as well. Like it's just a it's just a a, 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 a cor- Hell's Kitchen is a corner of the Marvel Comics universe where you get these really wonderful, hard-boiled writers to tell some really incredible stories. Um, and what Zdarsky is able to do over the last two volumes, and then Devil's Reign, of course, is really tell a, an incredible multi-year, multi-pronged story that hit all the kind of Matt Murdock hallmarks that you talked about, right? Like the faith, um, the relationship with Electra and Wilson Fisk, um foggy's in it right like it's and the hand of course everyone loves when matt murdoch punches undead ninjas you know um it's just it's just a great daredevil story and Mm -hmm. and the great thing about daredevil is a lot of daredevil stories are great because everything that you talked about right and he talks about it in in issue 14 i think or issue 13 when he's like it's it's the it's the catholic who dresses as the devil you know and it's like this there's all these kind of paradoxes about the matt murdoch's matt murdoch character that is just rife for drama and 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 conflict and um all of his sins and seeking redemption and salvation and trying to help others like the thing that i really took away from this volume is like daredevil is a superhero in that kind of old school sense of what a superhero is, which is just like helps people, you know, like it's not going off and fighting space aliens and stopping the beyonder, you know, it's, it's, it's helping people on the street. It feels relatively contained as well. Like regardless of how, big it is like going to these islands even like zadarsky like having us fight demons like quite literally you know like it's at the end of the day it came down to matt murdoch and his ensemble of friends came out of this volume being like how can i help the people of hell's kitchen like how can i help my neighbor you know um which is also a very kind of christian idea as well right just like helping your neighbor um and i think that that's never too far from the matt murdoch character yeah yeah i really thought the fisk stuff was outstanding in this the trip to jail that he took was was awesome um i like how that kind of comes back in the end Mm -hmm. when they start dropping the bombs and People, dinosaurs start having fits and everything like that. <laughs> Dr. Stego or whatever his name is, Stego or... Stegron, bro. Stegron. <laughs> um, I've never run into that character before this, and I was like, really? Okay. I've run into him on Marvel Snap. <laughs> oh, wow. I haven't played Marvel Snap in months. Um, It's good stuff. It's I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm on board to check out the next run and i i think about all the things that zadarsky did in his time with the character and especially spending time with the storm winds like i really i really i am gonna hang around just to watch them fall one day <laughs> because i know they've gotten screwed out of money but i, I need more than that yeah i you definitely those, need more uh, than that 
you want those rich big wigs to eat it. There's a moment when when Matt goes to their office that was extreme. Hell yeah, it was. That was extreme. I was kind of questioning the motivation and why. I guess it was because he knew get... where he was going. Yeah. To Shake Shack. To Shake Shack. <laughs> Daredevil goes to Shake Shack is the name of this episode. <laughs> <sighs> Kind of felt like the 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 the, the two pennies to pay the uh, the ferryman. Well, yeah, and you know the thing about Zadarsky, and I've said this every time we've talked about a Zadarsky book, is like our introduction to Chip Zadarsky was literally sex criminals, and here we are, ten years later, and we're talking about his like hardcore, extreme, like violent, brutal, dr- drama filled daredevil run you know and it's just like what 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 range you know <laughs> yeah i every time that i pick up a zadarsky book i have them all i need to go back to Stillwater. i need to start that from the beginning Stillwater water school and and re is that done yeah okay, well i whatever the volume was that he i don't know if there's going to be another volume but I want to go back because I have them all. I want to go back and read that. And I want to catch up with new burn. Yeah. Cause I keep seeing that coming out and I'm like, why am I not reading this? Yeah. I think John has read all of new burn. Well, he's certainly not sharing it with me. Yeah. Well, you know, that guy, that guy, what a guy, what a guy, what a guy. Um, I'm trying to think I started a new book. Uh, I'm only two chapters in, but it's very good. It's actually uh, written by David R. Slayton, who we did oh, our sweet. panel with. Um, it's excellent so far. Um, like immediate, immediate world building just in the first two chapters. That has me. Uh, I'm I've a kind of an idea of what's going on. Uh, I'm still trying to catch the rhythm of his voice, but um, it's kind of weird to be on a panel with somebody and spend an afternoon with them and be sitting next to them and chatting with them all day. And then you pick up a book and you're reading it like, this is really good. Oh, wait a minute. David wrote this. <laughs> David's my friend. That's cool. Yeah. So, yeah, good stuff. That's Daredevil, cool. fantastic. Uh, Specs is really good, especially well, uh, if you like cautionary tales. Who's the publisher on Specs? Or where did you just get it online? Boom Studios. Nice. Yep. It's only four issues. Uh, I got it for 10 bucks. Love that for me. Um, great art. Great, like, kind of, like, spooky art fantastic covers um little bit of a little bit of they live uh mixed with monkey's paw love that yeah and uh you know in a town that uh doesn't like people who are othered and when the othered people get into trouble bad shit happens Mm. i'll check it out that sounds awesome yep all right aaron let's jump over to you here oh he put the glasses on for this one Oh, serious, no, I, th- serious I think uh, I think I heard uh, <laughs> some retching in the background, so I had to take a quick look. But you know, it is what it is. What All right. Mean? Yeah. Well, well, you know, I'm going to change the order of what I was going to go because I think it will probably have the the best chance of leading into the next layer of conversations. I think we're going to have. So the one thing I wanted to talk about that I kind of want to talk about, but then kind of didn't. Marvel uh, voices X Men number one. So a bunch of people, J. Edna, Al Ewing, Greg Pak, Bernard Chang, Daniel Bayless, and a bunch of other folks. 
uh, on there. Jay Jordan, I think, is on there as well. So, mm-hmm. you know, there's a couple of things. So I'm coming to realize that for me, these anthology issues, they kind of remind me of those mystery boxes you get at NYCC that you pay all the money for, and then you only really like one or two things inside. So it's kind of, <laughs> that's kind of where I am with these. So I do feel as though I want them to keep going. I, I, I understand the concept. I understand what's happening here. I I, it, I think what kind of throws me off is that it becomes a mix between these self-contained stories that are supposed to have an objective and a point. And then those that are just supposed to be lead-ins, like a free comic book day thing to uh, what's actually in an ongoing story. So I, I, you know, it sometimes takes me in and out. But there were two that I thought were really fun to read. And one was cryotherapy. And I think it was by Jay Jerton. That was great. That was the relationship between Bobby and Storm that I really liked the voice. I liked the language. I liked the banter between the two of them sort of talking about, you know, their time as teammates um, and the similarities between their powers and how Bobby has always felt, you know, maybe like he was. The impression I get was that maybe he felt like he was really just a fourth of what she can do, <laughs> you know, like, like she can do everything he can do, uh, but then he can do what she can do all these other things. Um, and that sort of banter back and forth was really just entertaining. I actually really wanted that to just continue on into something more. I just, I loved the way that he was voicing the two of them, especially there's this line about, you know, there's two of us out here. One of us is a gay icon and he, she's like, yeah, and you're the other one. <laughs> I was like, wow. Okay. I really love that line. It was really, really cute. Um, and then there was another one, Evil Mutant, but I think that was by Greg Pak. And that was with Destiny and Mystique. Um, and it was really, you know, it was going back to their brotherhood of mutant, Evil Mutant days. And she was sort of getting them all together and trying to, you know, you know, get them up to snuff so they can take out the X-Men, which was failing. But the conver- it was really a conversation between, you know, Raven and, and Irene. Um, and it was sort of giving a new layer to their story because it was based sort of, I think, I think around the 80s. Um, during that sort of story time uh, in the in the evolution of X Men, and it was really interesting because it was giving it was adding the layer of all of the things that they were going through that we read that they were going through, but then the the added layer of how well would they have really been accepted in any place at that time uh, if it was clear that you know they were going home to each other as wives, you know how that would have played in the era that they lived in. So it was a really good story. It was a really interesting sort of take on things. The art I thought was really great because it was like throwback art. You know, just sort of the art style of that time frame. Um, really good. Uh, the rest, honestly, are the Jubilee story. I was just like, I don't know what. Um, I don't know. Why is this even here? Um, especially when you see other stories of Jubilee, you know, trying to convince everyone that she's not a child and that she's not, not all bubblegum and, and, you know, and sparklies. And then she's literally bubblegum and sparklies in the story. So I was just like, I don't, I don't, I don't get it. Um, so, it is what it is. Not everyone's flavors. Not you know everyone loves the same flavors. So check it out. But those are the two stories that I really, really thought were were great. Don't know what you're gonna say about it. Uh, the Magic Order number. I'm sorry. The Magic Order four number six. So just a quick summary. The conclusion to the last arc. Uh, and this was for you, Steve. Before the Magic Order Netflix show. Uh, so the basically ah, finally. So, uh, so, so it's kind of interesting. So this ties together four volumes of the story, um, and it brings that that sort of story together with the big, big bad that's been teased throughout all the different eras, uh, sort of making an appearance, if you call it that, I guess. So basically, Lady Albany has finally revealed at the end of the last issue her, well, parts of her uh, motivations, and they're just set Uncle Edgar for you, if you remember who Uncle Edgar are. 
you know, Uncle Edgar is. I can speak. I have words. Um, and so, Uncle Edgar, it's a it's too long. Just read it. It's too long of a story to explain who he is. But he's a bad motherfucker um, who was basically neutered in a way and sort of put somewhere in a way that he would do more good than harm. But Lady Albany made it her business to sort of take that leash off of him and let him and let him remember who he was. And that created all kinds of problems for the magic order, because at the same time, she took a page out of the Orcus book, which we'll talk about a little bit later. And she sort of spread the magic order too thin. Um, and basically that's how she ended up getting the upper hand. So again, they're spread too thin. They're divided into these various factions that, you know, uh, those kind of were taken off the table because they were the ones that would probably be most likely to strike up a strategic attack to get back at them or in those who, you know, just didn't really care enough who were sort of like day players, if you want to call it that. Um, now, at this point, Lady Albany has also sort of split the magical community into those who sort of looked at their role as their mission versus those who really just thought, well, listen, we are clearly the more dominant, you know, species here. Why are we not? I don't, I'm not uh, advocating taking over the world, but why don't we just make a couple bucks on this side if we can? So she sort of she was able to sort of splinter everyone, and that's what gave her the upper hand. Um, so basically, believing that everyone who could stop her was taken off the board to include Cordelia, um, and her heroin addict boyfriend Francis, who kind of had an untimely demise at some, per, some point. Um, uh, they were. You know, she thought she she thought she had it all together, and she was willing to make a sacrifice. This is Lady Albany making a sacrifice to sort of make sure her plan really, really came to its final fruition. Um, but once again, she didn't bank on Cordelia, who really only has one move left, um, and it's a big one that literally involves bringing someone out of the closet. Um, a little little place swapping, a little m- magical chess play, outthinking one other, sort of a time timey-wimey type of thing. It's just the thing that Mark Millar really excels at when it comes to his storytelling. Um, it's, 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 it's almost so weird that it's good, but so good that it's weird. I don't know how to describe it, but this little huh. closet thing is just very bizarre. Um, in any event, there we are. We have this, this final arc. Now, the arc ends, but it's cl- it, there is clearly a to-be-continued there, um, and it has to do with one of the main characters, which I have to assume is probably going to lead over into something just before the show comes out, but we'll see how it goes. I don't know. I have John. I'm sure John will have something to say about it next week. I have talked about this book ad nauseum. I think I've probably reviewed every single issue. I, I can't speak highly enough of it. So just get on top of that. The magic order. All right. So the last book, Al Ewing, Stefano Caselli's X-Men Red number 14. So as a brother, I'm going to read their little summary so we can all have a, Know where we are. So as, as the Brotherhood reels from the cataclysmic events of the Hellfire Gala, Genesis, and yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna say Aaron was right later. Genesis takes advantage of the chaos and declares war. Two vast mutant uh, armies clash and Rocco's idols fall. But this is only the beginning of a conflict that will remake the Red Planet and whatever happens to Iska, the unbeaten. Well, we kind of found out what happened to Iska. Um, so Genesis marches forward with her master plan. Her plan is to expel weakness. She believes that this sort of peace and, and and growing to love ourselves and all that stuff just makes you weak, and she wants to make them strong. And she sort of lives by this rule of pressure makes diamonds. Um, Storm becomes aware of the Hellfire Gala scenario and realizes that all of this is part of the same uh, machinations that Orcas has somehow gotten to Genesis and sort of convinced her that it was in her best interest. We realize that Genesis kind of 
she's like, I'm not that dumb. I realized what they were trying to do. I realized they were trying to go at me, but you know what? It suits my purpose anyway, because in the end, I do want this home for Rocco, but the home for Rocco doesn't necessarily have to be Mars. He goes, why, why put this energy for, for one planet when I can just take two, which brings me back to saying Aaron was right. <laughs> <laughs> because I told you Genesis was coming to earth at some point. I said, this is going to be the thing. This is going to be her war. Um, so it's very, very clear that all hell is going to rain down on Orcas from a variety of different angles. We get it. We see in the other books, I'm sure we'll talk about later, how the mutants are, are building their little pockets of, uh, of of resistance and what that looks like. Um, but I think in the end, it's going to be Genesis. It's going to be a little bit more than Orcas expected. Um, uh, again, we just keep going through this X world and it's just going to keep coming and coming and coming. And I'm here for every minute of it. But yeah, this 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 is where I was. I felt completely justified in my assumption about how this was going to play out and what was going to tip the hand <laughs> of uh, of Orcus. I think this is literally going to be a scenario where the enemy of my enemy, I really do think that. Oh. And of course, I will always love Storm and anyone who draws Storm with big, flowy, long hair. So, you know, just saying. And that's my lightning round. Shaz a damn. Nice. Um, do you know when that Magic, Magic Order TV show is dropping? I keep hearing. I remember hearing before it was like supposed to be November, but I don't think. I think it's too soon. No, I, I gotta. I haven't heard check. anything about it. It was a long time ago. Was, I had read that it was supposed to be like November of this year, but again, with everything that's going on, yeah, well, I would not bank on anything. If it was, if it's supposed to come out in November, I would assume that it's already been shot. Yeah, they would be promoting it already. Well, that's the I thing. We think. don't know anything about the promotion stuff. Yeah, but I think Netflix is allowed to get the word out. Not um, talk to the actors. Not talk to the actors, no, but. Let me see. Maybe there is something here. I, yeah. I have not seen anything since, but. Anyway, X-Men anyway. Red. Steve, I know you have strong opinions about X-Men Red. <laughs> I'm just going to assume that because I haven't read X-Men Red, X-Men Red in... Let's see. Let's go back here. Um, about six issues or so. Oh, you're probably completely lost. Um, let me tell you. <laughs> I have you never have been. Be. I've never been more repelled by an X book in my entire history of reading X Men. What do you mean I, by repelled? That's what I need to understand. I didn't like it. No, but what what repelled you? I think is what we were saying. Um, I thought that it was the most confusing. Like I'm, I'm trying to follow the 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 aftermath, right? The fall of X after yeah. the after the gala and everything going on. This book starts with this tremendous, tremendous. You have to turn the turn my my iPad on its side <laughs> to read all this text about all of these characters and all of these events that I have absolutely no frame of reference for whatsoever. I don't recognize anyone in this book with the exception of storm. You've got your like armadillo hedgehog grass grown out of his shoulders guy. (laughs) You got your regal looking caterpillar. You got the Navi from avatar running around here. Like this guy comes in and says, Frenzy, uh, what is he, he says, uh, Sam's dead. Frenzy 2, Dazzler. That's Sunspot, bro. 
That's Sunspot. That's He's Roberto like a lazy character. <laughs> Listen to this, though. Frenzy 2, Dazzler, Jubilee, Prodigy. All the newly announced X-Men are dead. Everyone at the Hellfire Gala is dead. Jean Grey's dead. The treehouse is burning. So Scott's dead. I think Captain America might be dead. A lot of people are dead. Yeah. That, yeah. that threw me through a loop. I was yeah. like, why? Like, what? That's true. <laughs> I know it's true. I was there, but no, like, I don't understand why. What What was it that threw you? It was, so, was it just so just saying it? No, was I it? think the issue. I think the issue, and Steve, I think this is true. Well, no, no, no. I, I had think, to. I'm saying, was it the way it was read, or was it that it was said? Is I'm the way that the styling of the book, or was it the character? Is what I'm asking. The way that that panel is written oh, was okay. was yeah. so stiff. But, I, I I think the issue, and Steve, I agree with you to some extent because when I sat down to read X Men Red, this one, I had to read a couple of issues back because um, I think I stopped around like eleven, like whatever the one, the first issue that came out after Sins of Sinister, I read that, and then I missed the next three issues. So I did read three issues to get up to X Men fourteen. But I think to your point, if you're reading X Men Red fourteen with the banner fall of X on it, thinking that it's going to give you a clear yeah. kind of, Oh, we're like fallout from the fall of nope. X issue, which I really like the hellfire gala, which I really liked. I think that's part, one of the issues with this like banner, right? It's like, everything's fall of X. And honestly, like to some degree, dark X-Men was like that too, where it's like, there's uh-huh. threads and storylines and characters that dark X-Men capitalizes on. I'll talk about in my lightning round. That if you're just jumping in because it's a fall of X title, you're yeah. gonna be confused. And I and I and the, the the thing that makes it really complicating for X-Men Red is X-Men Red for the last six, eight months has only had like Storm and Roberto and um like I mean, Nova Magneto before and, he yeah. Well, yeah. The rest of the characters in X-Men Red are all Arako characters who uh-huh. are like these like uh-huh. brand new invented weird ass characters. I know. That, like, and, yeah. and that's kind of my problem with it and why I'm 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 disappointed. Or I mean, uh, look, I'm going to couch this all in. I probably I need to go back. I need to do my homework if I really want to try to get invested. My problem was that. I'm open to the idea of meeting a bunch of new characters. That sounds exciting to me, like especially mixed up in all of this X-Men stuff, like a whole planet of new characters to get to know. That sounds awesome. But like my favorite thing about this entire issue was when Storm was making a cup of tea with a little rain cloud above the mug. (laughs) Like every everything else was so uninviting and it wasn't I was so I felt so on the outside. Mm-hmm. That it didn't it didn't pull me in. It didn't it didn't strike me as interesting. I was just lost to the entire issue. I'll I'll say, unlike really any of the other books, because even X-Men 25 and Immortal were much clearer follow-ups to Hellfire Gala. Like that was the breaking point, and these yeah. new, those series were following it. X-Men Red was doing its own thing before the gala. And then this month they were like, well, we're still just going to keep doing our own thing. We'll just put Fall of X on the title page, right? So I I think they have to do, yeah, I agree. I think they have to. So here's the thing. X-Men Red, especially X-Men Red 14, I would actually go back to say 13. No, 13, and absolutely. Tw- and 12, yeah. They they are absolutely connected to everything that's going on, but they've been connected on a separate track for at least five or six issues um, related to this one, but probably more. In that, 
the focus of X-Men Red has entirely been what happened to the people of Morocco now that they are because they realized that they were never going to be able to exist on Earth yeah. um, without trying to conquer the planet. But now they're having to figure out what this life of not being in a hundred millenniums long war looks like and how will they evolve as a people? Uh, how will they be governed? It was almost like the focus of it was the Araco version of the Quiet Council. How would yes. they manage to govern with Storm being an outsider uh, as the region? How would they manage to govern and and build this new dream there? So it hasn't had a lot of tentacles in the other story, which is why you have people like Sunspot and Nova, you know, et cetera, yeah. showing up here. But the issue, it wasn't a part of it. But the issue is Araco is a part of the post. Hellfire Gala storyline with like Orcus Correct. sending refugees to Morocco and stuff. And this issue, as the first issue out of Hellfire Gala, is like, yeah, You're we know that's happening. That. And like, here's a page of Roberto coming in being like, the Hellfire Gala happened and it sucks. Yeah. So, you know? yeah, what I was, the, what I, what I got yeah. sidetracked for before, what I was going to say was this is the epitome of the issue where, where you ever ask yourself, is this a point where I can jump on it? The answer is no, no. absolutely think, not. And I think, Steve, I agree with you. I kind of thought I could, and I don't think you can. Like, this is not a jumping on point. Like, yeah. the rest of the Fall of X stuff is. Humor because me for I, a second. Because I understood it. All right. I'm on. coming. No, I, just to this last point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go because on. I I have been there the entire time. And yeah. whereas I could, or, whereas if I was to take myself out of that, I could absolutely see just like, I don't know what's going on. Like I you said before who the pointy ear, the, the porcupine guy was all that stuff. I would absolutely agree with you. It's being there and sort of seeing this burn to like where the tensions originally created, where Iska left, where all of that stuff, how that Genesis all, returns, Genesis returns, what happened with apocalypse or the artist for artist formerly known as, What's going on with him? How Orcas got involved? How the magic was related? Having seen all that stuff sort yeah. of play into this, I absolutely you could almost see where this was going like issues ago. But having had none of that, I can I absolutely see where the absolutely. the weight of that story leaves. I read so, 12, 13, and 14, and that was the whole of that story. Yeah. So Marvel ba- like just basically wiped out 98% of who I know from the X universe, right? <laughs> in this book. <laughs> yeah, in, in at the gallery. They're not in this and, book, rather. Yeah. Oh, you yeah. know, they're not in this book. There's only a handful of characters that I recognize. But then you get to these new history of Araco pages. Oh, I love those pages. Me too. I oh love my them. god. I love them. All of these But you gotta words. know. You gotta know those characters. Yes. I know, but listen to this. Like Iska had retired to the mountains, Olympus, and Tharis Montez. What the spire vial, the locust vial, yeah, yeah, the yeah. miseries yeah. of Tarn, <laughs> the all blood stuff on still Mars, stained bro. the ground of circle parallons. What the hell are they talking about? Go back to, to be there. Go back to one, bro, and read from one. <laughs> the stars, Phobos, the mer- mercenaries of Arrakos, Port it's, Prometheus, okay, the Morrowlands. Yeah, yeah. So, so is, all of this, all of this Iska. has been built up. Yeah, you saw Iska in this issue. It's Iska the end beaten her mutant power is literally she cannot lose so that's but she was out oh did she fight in the uh 
She was the outwitted. Arango, she was no. in the yeah, 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 yeah. She was outwitted by Roberto. Um, I remember so that. She retired herself to the mountains. That's why she's like, the mountains are my thing. And that's why they weren't really worried when they were flying over the mountains. She, they were like, oh, Iska's going to take care of that. Listen, listen. You all have <laughs> you all have this existing history with the X-Men far more no, 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 than, these characters than I are do. These char- but X-Men these characters are not new. like that. You don't X-Men, let me finish. <laughs> no, I know. But like X-Men Red, you only need the last six issues. Yeah. Go ahead, Steve. I'm sorry. Go ahead, Steve. Go, 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 go. He was right. Let him finish. I'm just saying, like, you take take into account that you all have decades-long history with all the X-Men that were just wiped out, right? I'm at the point in my X journey where I've only been in it for maybe a decade on and off. So I'm still getting comfortable with who is living on Krakoa. And then you <laughs> rip them all away. <laughs> And you throw me onto this other planet that I haven't been on in eight months. And everybody that I can see, with the exception of maybe like five people, I don't recognize. And they've all got these rich, complicated, drama-filled things going on within this story and within this planet and stuff that I've missed. And I just... From an outsider coming in who's excited about this Fall of X event and who jumped back on board because of the gala, I read this and I was like, I wanted to get in a rocket and go to another planet away from this (laughs) book. I got to say, I completely agree with you. And I think that validating that feeling, it's like this book is not a fall of x tie-in follow-up book like i it, disagree it, it, i don't no, think me this week because there's like three books that have the fall it's of connected x thing on it. it's <laughs> absolutely connected and i think that like they're kind of shoehorning in of that character who popped up right when genesis showed up and was like you know what you should do right like I, I, other than those little beats that like line up the timelines storm and genesis's like civil war on mars is not the is not the same storyline as what Kitty and Emma and all of the four sinisters and all that shit that's happening with the Hellfire Gala is ha- is going on, right? And most of those new X books, Steve, that are coming out this week are those Fall of X miniseries, Realm of X 1, Jean Grey 1, that are going to deal explicitly with the fallout of Hellfire Gala. I think X-Men Red, for those of us that are caught up or familiar with what's been going on over there, it's nice to kind of see how Hellfire Gala and Roberto running in and all of that is kind of fitting into this larger kind of like the stakes of what Storm is fighting for on Arako. Absolutely. But I think that for the people that just read Hellfire Gala and want to see what's going to happen after no, Hellfire do Gala, I don't think X-Men Red was the book for I, them. It's correct. Here's what I will say. It, two things. And then and if mm-hmm. you had this book has been the same thread literally since that Hellfire Gala that created Araco. Yeah. So it's been the, the same thread. And so all those characters uh, and the role that they're playing, they have been evolving. It's almost been like one arc, to be honest with you, um, except for when the act stuff happened. Um, but the the flow of the characters has been the same in the sense that they have been going in this direction where I will disagree slightly that it's not hundred percent the same story is that Araco is a key component of what created 
this hatred of yes. mutants at the global level because right. now it has become this shining representation of they are well, that, powerful enough to take yeah. over a planet and to terraform a planet. What does that mean when they turn on us? And then also, it has now become the place where Let's Orcus, dump there. yeah, has dumped yeah. all the mutants that were thrown from that were rounded up after the Hellfire Gala. Yeah, and that's part of where the the tension is building on Genesis's side, you know, against Storm, and basically saying, and Genesis is basically like, hey. If they can fight and live, more power to them. If not, they're going to be slaughtered. It is what it is. <laughs> so yeah. she's sort of just like, yeah. But I think the I think the series, in its continuation of those threads, is yeah. more interested in Genesis's storm mm -hmm. than it is. Look at these refugees that Orcus has dropped on our planet. Not, you yeah. know what I mean? And for for people coming out of Hellfire Gala or X Men Twenty Five, they're like, oh, we're going to Araco. I wonder what's going on with those mutants that are getting dumped there. Maybe we'll see Shadowcat running around doing some Araco stuff. Yeah. That's not what you're getting here. You're getting yeah. a you're getting an in the middle of the action right. storyline that you're hopping into. I agree with that. And and all the characters have three names. And like one's a giant eyeball, you know, <laughs> I felt like somebody threw me in the deep end and tied weights to my legs. This was that book. You're correct. That's exactly what this book was. This was yeah. not this was not the I will agree that they probably should have identified which books had a direct through line. Yeah. Um, but we know that Marvel they never is did. never going to do that. To be clear, everything books. that I'm saying does not make this a bad book or a bad issue by any means. This is coming from someone yeah. who is genuinely interested in this event and in this world, just feeling completely lost. And yeah, maybe that's on me for not keeping up on X-Men Red, but damn. Yeah, it's a it's like it's. I, I, it's funny. I think we were talking to the Homo Superior guys at, at um, FlameCon, and they were like, you know, if you're not confused reading an X-Men book, you're not yep, reading an X-Men book. That's exactly what they said. And, yeah. But but I do think that X-Men Red, if you did not read the previous 13 issues, it's like a completely different universe. Um, the characters, the ensemble, like it's just, it's a totally different world. And again, it's in the middle of it. It's not a, it's not a clean break. It's not like even the start of an arc, you know, it's like, like 12, uh, like 11, 12, 13 were part one, two, three. And then 14 is part four. It just so happens that this giant hellfire gala thing happened between 13 and 14. And you kind of like, ah, like okay. but you know, I think the same is going to be true of a couple of books that are coming out. I think X, I'm curious to see how X Force 43 looks because well, you know, they've been off on their own thing as well. But they've been say, off on their own thing, but kind of related, but kind of off on their own thing. I haven't, I'm so behind on X Force. And even though, like, the Hellfire Gala made me like, oh, I, I should catch up on things, but I'm not just going to read X-Force 43 this week. If I'm going to read X-Force, I'm going to have to go back and read it yeah. because as Steve said, like if you don't, you're just going to, you're literally going to feel on the outside. See, that's I my, was, that's I my would fear. Go of on, the sorry, two, to, no, this is for you, Steve. I would say if you're curating which ones to read, to sort of understand some of the higher points of what's happening. X-Force is probably not, it's not necessary for you to read that one to sort of get, because they've been off going through time. I would recommend though, because I do believe it's going to circle back around into being a key player in the larger, in the yeah. resolution of this whole story. I do, I recommend you read X-Men Red, like go back to the beginning of X-Men Red and read that, because I do think it's going to continue to play a role, a larger and larger role 
as they begin to connect Genesis with Orcus and all that stuff, I think the, the role is going to increase. Yeah. And it's going to you're going to continue to be lost. X Force, you can let go. Yeah, and I the think big question mark. The big question mark, and they mentioned in this book is the artist formerly known as. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're waiting. Mm-hmm. We're waiting for a po- we're waiting for Pocky to come up. You know, like, where and, is he? Uh, What's going on? <laughs> and and I, I think Aaron, to your point. I think that's going to be a big part of what happens with the end of uh, Fall of yep. X. So, I just, I, I, just, I would just just re- go back and read them. See, I just really <laughs> think it will just inform, just inform the larger story. X Men, X. I'm sorry, X Force. You're good. Yeah, you know. You're I fine. just know that you know not reading X Men Red for a little while, and then hearing you all come onto the show every issue. And just be like, oh, yeah. oh my god! Because it was. I it was so, so excited. I was like, that was my time. Well, I'm going to come back. It's going to be amazing. <laughs> and I sat down, and within the first two pages, I was so pissed. I was you, like, what is happening? You, for, for for the listeners at home, you open this book, and the first two, Ooh. the first two page turns are double page spreads Take of literal of literal civil war happening. <laughs> <laughs> it's like it's like it had been built up through how many issues there's yeah, so much like terminology scene. there's so many location <laughs> names there's so many like faction names i hate that crap like it's like when glover the, comes in a troy comes in on the scene in community and he's yeah. got the pizza and like that was steve in this moment he just like came in with the pizza <laughs> and everything was on fire and he's it like is, hey guys let's do x-men red <laughs> their idea of of introducing people to this series after the fall of x or for the fall of x was to do like four pages of info dumping yeah. and just at a prayer to yeah. hope that you'll you'll stick around for the next issue. And my thing is like, do I continue on to 15 or do I go back? You got to read. At, I got to go back. See. You got to read gotta at least 11, 12, 13. You gotta I'm going to read the whole damn thing. But I honestly show don't you. think. I think this was the one book. I think you and I think you guys are making this point. I think this was the one book that I'm was so an fu to new readers. <laughs> it was just like we don't care if you've been reading. This one is for our rider dies. This <laughs> they certainly got OGs. to me. Yeah. Well, and Steve, to as a as a comfort, then all of this week's are number one, number one, number one. Yeah. So with I the exception of X Force. But we let it go. Let it go. I just like live and let live. <laughs> like FlameCon totally jazzed me up, right? Like I'm I'm all excited about comics again. I'm reading like crazy. I read Daredevil one through fourteen the other day. I haven't read fourteen comics in a row in months, and I'm like, oh man, I'm back into the X Men. I'm like fucking living the life, right? And then Go this, back, this just hard stop. X Men Red was like, get down. Your assignment. The first, the first splash page too is all Arako characters. There's like <laughs> no one you would know on it too. It's just like literal exploding this roided war. out hedgehog with this, this not with these rocks you. covering his junk. <laughs> this was not meant for you at all. You got <laughs> the guy was... from Saga over here. <laughs> Wait, and Storm not to mention, fine. not to mention, it literally picked up like right after the last. I, like know. Stand Nova. I know it's like it's like literally a part three it's not even like a part <laughs> one or two it's like literally a part three or part four go back uh, to i would recommend yes you can start from one but at the very least start from the end of sins of sinister which i is need 11th. to go back now Listen, I, got, I got them all let me say commit. you just Hold need on. to commit man yeah but the good <laughs> well, thing is unlike x-force it's only 13 issues and i, I know 42 42 issues. Okay. Oh, <laughs> you gotta go back. 
I've got one through Aaron ten. <laughs> I've got one through ten. I'm missing eleven, twelve, and thirteen, which is the ones that you're telling me I need to read. So, eleven, twelve, and thirteen. Yeah, right. And then I got these two uh, ass Judgment Day issues, five and six. Oh well, those are good. Those are good issues. Yeah. <laughs> oh Jesus Christ! Big Where things happen. Big things happening there. I take it back. I, I'm out. I you, you gotta commit, man. You gotta, <laughs> commit. You gotta commit. I've been committing ever since ever since the Hellfire Gala. I told you, also, I'm all in. So I'm he's been be committing honest. for two weeks. Also, <laughs> also, I'm gonna admit, I'm gonna. Uh, so, like, yes, the apocalypse artist formerly known as apocalypse thing. I think will circle back as Aaron and I were talking about. However. I think that if you want to wipe, if you want to be like, I, my my taste is so tarred from X-Men Red. If you cut X-Men Red out of your diet, I, I still think you're going to have a great time with the other books. Don't do it. <laughs> he the struggle is real. But every real. time you guys talk so about good. it, I'm going to have X-Men FOMO. They'd be like, oh, that could have been me. Honestly, X-Men FOMO is a hallmark of being an X-Men reader. <laughs> But I don't have to have it. It's just, this is honestly, this is like the legitimate, I think, mustache twirling like goal of like Hickman and Hickman's acolytes, you know, post Hoxpock and and creating this world. It it probably worked so much better. This creating this Corcoan era worked so much better than they ever anticipated. And now it's created this through line that. Whereas there are some places where you can jump on. I could probably r- rattle through a bunch of different books that you probably could have just jumped on and and been there. But well, I'll but, tell you what, as so, revenge, no. I'm going to sneak into Hickman's house. I'm going to replace all of his markers with permanent ones. <laughs> well, Hickman's, like, Hickman's like, I'm out. You, you, you need to go look up Mr. Duggan over there. Oh, he's still, he's he's still plotting. <laughs> he's, he's doing G-O-D-S. He's doing gods. All right. Sorry, oh. listeners. Oh, All right. God, that was so funny. That was that was a lot. Was I loved it. I loved it. Oh, <laughs> great radio. That's true. Um, I'm out. All right. All right. You're, you're, you're bouncing. I have to. But before I go, I want to apologize to Bob because I didn't get to spend any time with him this episode. <laughs> That's OK. There's always next time. All right. Yeah. We'll talk, oh, my friend. Goodness. But uh, seriously, I don't even know how. I feel I feel like the X Men conversation cured my my vocal issues that I've been having for the last couple of days because I'm all like hopped up, but I can we'll feel see, it going. And I'm coughing my brains out, muting every like. You, you just go minutes. lay down and get and pick up number one and just realize yeah. the magic that X Men Red has been from oh, the yeah. beginning. <laughs> from, from what ails you, X Men Red, take it's the two, cure for take fourteen issues of X Men Red and call me in the morning. Uh, cures X-Men, anything X-Men, you have. X Men Red cures COVID. Mm. Tell, like, tell, uh, tell Joe Rogan and Ben Shapiro. Oh boy! No. Well, rest up. We hope you feel. Go cuddle the cat. I'm gonna go burn some Barbie dolls. Yeah. <laughs> Yikes! Uh, I went dark. Uh, how do I do this? Do I end my call? You just leave, bro. Just leave. All right. Don't Get end out. The call. Bye, Steve. Thanks, everybody. Bye. Take care. I'll be back next week. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Bye, guys. Bye. 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 That's too funny. That was good. That That's was too funny. Bob, let's get you in here. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to mute myself while I laugh some more. I'm sorry. <laughs> okay. uh, the Cull Number One by Kelly Thompson, Matia Deulis, and Hassan Atsmani Elahu was kind of short as Image First Issues go. Look, I'm spoiled, so sue me. But that's my only quibble at all. Picture a little bit of Paper Girls crossed with the movie Super 8 with a dash of Nancy Drew. 
And that, for me, makes a heck of a combination. What you have is a group of young filmmakers, and they're heading out to a beach for an early morning shoot. And that takes an unexpected turn, although one person in the crew seems to have had more than an inkling of what's going to happen. Of course, it is beautifully illustrated. And our introduction to the cast of characters is really smartly succinct, as they all sort of gather one by one and you get to see who's who. Setup slash cliffhanger worked really well for me. All, again, my one complaint, I just wanted like twice as much of this. Really loved this first issue. Now, speaking of Kelly Thompson, I picked up Harley Quinn, Black and White and Redder, number two, as they have a story illustrated here by Andy Wu, no less, and I just had to see that. It's co-star Zatanna, who's been kidnapped by Harley, who wants Z to magically give her a new origin story as she's feeling pretty crappy about her own that she's, she's dealing with. Uh, it, it really, it, it's, it, it goes to so many places that we just saw through the, the Harley wrecks the DCU, screws up the DCU with that. But it's a wonderful companion piece to that. Just a ton of fun. Also in this issue, you've got a Rose Stein and Ted Brandt story called Great Pet Spectations. And you can imagine what kind of shenanigans there are at a pet competition. We have Coffee and Pie Oh My by Ryan Parrott and Luana Vecchio. That's just Harley and Jim Gordon sitting in a diner. It's really, really beautiful. So once I had two, I had to pick up number one. And that's got stories by Chip Zdarsky and Kevin McGuire, Leah Williams, uh, Natasha Bustos, Fisher with one by Paul Shear and Nick Giovanetti and Tom Riley. And like I, I said last week, all uh, this is a really great time for Harley Quinn. And everything in these two issues is just absolutely delightful and right in that headspace. So this series is just something I'm going to add to my pull list. And with, with issue three featuring Gail Simone, David Baldion, June Ba, <laughs> uh, Chris Condon, Jacob Phillips, the heck yeah, I'm in. Um, to something really serious, uh, sadly. So glad you're following after me, Joey. Last mm -hmm. week, um, I watched one of the most powerful and moving films I've ever seen. Now, prefacing what, my discussion of that, the world acknowledged a really sad anniversary recently, that of the atomic bombings of Hiroshima and Nagasaki. So at the last meeting of Nikki's Book Club, the sort of show and tell thing we have, I brought some book recommendations and a movie list. And topping that list is the rarely seen 1953 Japanese film Hiroshima, made just after the American occupation ended, which also ended the ban on certain topics for films. It's based on the book, Children of the A-Bomb, Testament of the Boys and Girls of Hiroshima, as collected by Dr. Arata Osada. And the film was funded by the Japanese Teachers Union, partly to combat a very sentimental film on this topic from the same book that had been released the year before. The film is directed by uh, Hideo Sekigawa. And while it does highlight one group of students' struggles, uh, and to help create a dramatic thread line. Uh, the focus of the central portion of the film is the immediate aftermath of the bombing. Now, we all know the horrible statistics, but here we're shown the human faces of the tragedy as the world has literally been reduced to ashes. And I have to say that despite my voluminous viewing of films and documentaries and reading on this subject, none of that prepared me for the emotions I felt here, especially after finding out through the DVD extras that Mr. Sekigawa hired thousands of bomb survivors as cast members and extras. 
it's a masterstroke akin to what uh, Abel Gans did with his film Jacuz back in the 30s. This film has been mostly unseen for decades before being revived in the late 20-teens. And if you're all interested, Arrow Films has released a really wonderful Blu-ray special edition with those special features. It's also on Amazon Prime, too. So uh, if you want to feel a lot of feels, uh, this is this is a movie. And, you know, again, we we see the numbers and the, the day comes up and it's in this day in history. Mm-hmm. Uh, check check this out. It'll it'll break your heart. So that's it for me. Yeah. That's a damn. That's a damn. The call. The, the call. call. I threw a little Goonies in there as I was reading that as well. Oh, there yeah. Absolutely. I agree with you, Bob. I wanted more, especially considering the last Kelly Thompson image, number one, that we got, which was <laughs> like yeah. 79 pages long. Uh, very cinematic. I think all the cinematic parallels you drew was, was very accurate. Uh-huh. I think it's it's such a, especially Mattia de Ulysses kind of like photorealistic. I loved it. It's, it's, it's. So it's, it's moody, beautiful. so yeah. beautiful. Yeah, I love the little vignettes with each character, bringing us to the to the moment there. Um, the little found footage reveal at the very beginning, and then I'm like, what? I'm like, kind of get lost in it, and then at the very end, they end up where they end up, and I'm like, what is happening? Like, this uh-huh. is the craziest thing I've ever read. So yeah, I'm eager to see where it goes. I wish we had more. Absolutely agreed. Yeah, I do love visually speaking. Again, just. Uh, what always captured me about every what captured me about every page was even just seeing the differences in body types and the, the differences in the face the shapes of face which i have mm-hmm. to imagine you know when we talk sometimes about not being able to tell bruce wayne from clark kent you know i have to yeah. imagine that that becomes mm-hmm. difficult to do page after page after page to make sure you do those things that distinguish this character so that you can tell them apart um i thought that was just very it was beautiful to see uh, through the page um i do feel like this was probably like like if you're looking at an episode of some some show this issue felt like the cold open right before the credits start oh, to run absolutely. and then, yeah. and then you know you're waiting like if you're watching a csi or an ncis or something like right before the credits roll and then it's like all right issue two is going to be all right, where where our main characters come into view, and we're wondering what LL Cool J and Chris, you know, whatever they're going to do right. um, for the for the episode. So it was, it did leave you feeling like uh, okay, um, I really wanted just a little bit more context to this, but I, I get it. It's tough um, too because Mattia de Ulysses are you know like like the Luna Brothers or or like David Aja, like the 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 decompression and those art styles Mm -hmm. like nothing happens like the the storyline of this book to your point is like 15 minutes worth of time you know Mm -hmm. like and some of it is incredible the sequence where the one character is like looking in the mirror putting the makeup on covering her three separate panels taking us through those beats Mm -hmm. obviously it's giving you so much character and so much meaning but that's a whole page right and the comic's only 21 pages long so you know, you do lose that real estate when you do that decompression. Yeah. Um, not saying that I don't love it, because I absolutely do. As a as a longtime reader of like Morning Glories and all those books, you yeah. know, like <clears throat> Joe Eisman, like I totally get it. But you like the the pace of the story is just so much slower. I will say, I think what is drawing us to know that we're going to read issues two, three, and four, however many there are out there, is because it's Kelly Thompson. Oh, absolutely. I don't know if this were Joey Bag of Donuts. You know, who's this is their first book. If we would 
probably be as inclined to give it that much, you know, credibility. The art, yeah, that that would be what it is. Um, but I think there was a reliance on the Kelly Thompson name that really, really, you know, engaged me here. And I'm again, not to say that this is not a a great looking book with a story that's probably going to pick up at some point. Um, It just, when you pull the Kelly Thompson name out of it, I wonder if it would have gotten the same reaction from us Hmm. uh, down the line. Um, We have nothing's guaranteed, but we have a sneaking suspicion that she'll bring us to the finish Correct. line. Yes, in a great way. As she oh, has exactly, so exactly. Yeah. So but listen I mean, to us. We know what we're talking about. But I mean, honestly, <laughs> yeah. we have a long track record on this show of like teenagers doing Goonies adventures with the supernatural. So like, <laughs> yeah, this is also uh, true. yeah, honestly, what was that? The breakout? What was that? The one? Oh my god, that <laughs> stupid book with <laughs> the cube in space. <laughs> <laughs> were they were they cheerlead the girl up like a half a mile to, to with a close-up order Pikachu as Bob to, would say to reach yes. the giant floaty cube with the aliens? Oh, oh god! Classic, heavy, yes. heavy vinyl Fight Club. Heavy vinyl <laughs> Fight Club. R.I.P. That book. That was great. Oh, Paper god. girls, backstagers, love it. Mm-hmm. Love them all. Love, love, love a good coming of age story. We like endangered kids is basically what we're we saying. <laughs> as long as they come out of it safely and yes. a new, like enriched, yeah. fulfilled person, right? Yes, what he said. <laughs> oh God. Um did you watch Oppenheimer, Bob? Yes. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting to I think one of the one of the core critiques of Oppenheimer. I have a few, but is like the fact that it's so it's like, you don't see the consequences of it on the people of Japan. Um, That's a big kind of glaring omission. And uh, granted, of course the story is about Oppenheimer, but um, yeah, I mean, it is this month, you know, like every year it's the anniversary of those bombings. Mm -hmm. And it's uh, one of my biggest complaints with Oppenheimer is that obviously, and that he has, his epiphany, which he did in real life to a certain extent after having been the person who almost guaranteed it would get dropped on a city yeah. in, in those meetings. And I'm, again, as I've said on the show, and I've said to a lot of people discussing this, I am not advocating for showing uh, carbonized bodies or, or nuclear shadows on the side of the wall. Sure. But could, could, could you have at least had the stock footage of just the, the the atomic bomb dome standing there, and that he thinks of that, and it it comes from grief over what he knows his accomplishment actually accomplished. Yeah. If all it is is he thinks himself through it, it denigrates two hundred fifty thousand people who died. Yeah, in two cities. and the thousands in the years since. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Now speaking <clears throat> speaking of Oppenheimer and Barbie, Aaron has seen Barbie. Should we talk? I have. That? Oh yeah, I have seen Barbie. I listen. You finally got there. I so I saw Blue Beetle on Tuesday, on Thursday. Then I saw Barbie on Friday uh, at the Bougie Theater that I showed you uh, that you and me and Emily walked by. Right, right. Joey. Um, and I okay. I will say, I did almost get into a street fight there because this you know I, it was me and this group of I I would say young adults who had just come to see the movie and that was all of us that were in the theater so there was including me and them it was probably like six of us and they chose to talk just like they were in their own living rooms 
And so finally, I, I don't know what how I ended up happening. I literally just yelled like at, the, at, at a normal voice, what the literal fuck? <laughs> and they all turned to look at me. And then they're like, oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. And then they got quiet. So then I could hear the movie after that. Nice. Um, I There were a lot of layers to that movie, a lot going on. I will say, I will, my, I will say this as a spoiler to our Blue Beetle. I think this was a better movie. Um, <laughs> but, but there was a lot going on. Um, I have some questions. Um, I, I, I found myself hating men. <laughs> I found myself angry. Um, I've never been more ashamed of my penis than <laughs> while watching this this movie. I was like, "Why do I have this thing? This has served no one any purpose." So you can but, stand and pee. But I guess, <laughs> I guess. So you know, I I, I found myself emotional. Um, and yeah, it was just just a lot of things. I found myself emotional primarily because I'm going to take a 15 second diversion here, maybe 30. My entire life and everything that I am today is because of the women who raised me because none of the men were there. So every critical point in my life was managed by a woman. Um, and what I was able to observe, you know, from a woman's perspective. Um, so having observed that and and mothers and grandmothers and aunts and all that stuff um and then seeing the questions that were asked by this movie it was it was emotional for me so i i began to sort of then multiply that times like 10 to feel to to figure out what self-aware women who saw this must be feeling and why they're all dressing up in pink to go <laughs> to yeah. go see this movie so but that was my little diversion so all right I liked it. If you had to figure that out. That's great. It's a great movie. I I really enjoyed it when we saw it too. It's really a lot of great lines, great laughs, great cries. America Ferrara, that speech. A lot of Simu abs. A lot of Simu abs. Yep. Does not hurt. Yep. I will say Ryan. (laughs) You're supposed to feel this way about Ryan Gosling in this movie. I don't know. I don't know where the thing for him comes from. I'm sorry, Joey, fight me. I did not love La La Land. Um, I like La La Land. I know you do. That's why I said I fight know. me. But I I did not. I don't understand the draw for him. I do think Ryan Reynolds is a better Ryan. I'm just going to say that. Wow. He's a better Ryan. Gosling sometimes feels maybe it's because it feels like he acts there's so much space between him and in projects <laughs> that i can't get a beat on what he is trying yeah. to do yeah i just I, that may be it like you like he does a project and then you don't see him anywhere for a good amount of time but then he comes back with a project and you're like that's completely different yes and you've aged 10 years since yeah. the last project let me guess the last thing you saw him in was blade runner Good Lord, was it? Probably. I'm trying to think. Was it Blade Runner, or was it? Yeah, maybe it was Blade Runner. Yeah, yeah who knew? Probably. Yeah. Wild. All right. Yeah. Let me do this lightning round. Then we'll talk about Blue Beetle. That was a damn. Oh man, I wish Steve was here to talk about all these X Men books. 
<laughs> all of these had a number one on them, so he probably would have got them a little bit clearer. Um, Alpha Flight, number one, Ed Brisson. Haven't heard that name in a while. Ed Brisson and Scott Godlewski, who I remember from the DC book. I think he was on um, the Justice League versus, uh, what do you call it? Uh, Legions, oh, of Legions of Heroes. Did he also do the young, um, the young, what are they called? Young Justice? Young no. Justice. A couple of issues there. Oh, you know what? You, you're right. He Just did, like one or did. two. Yeah, he yeah, wasn't yeah, the main yeah, guy. Yeah. But yeah, anyway, yeah. I freaking love Scott Godalewski's artwork and that whole style. So to see him here was fantastic. Anyway, um, the book opens and you got like Alpha Flight, some core members. You got Shaman, Snowbird, Guardian, Puck, Department H. They're in Canada. You know, they're the, the premier Alpha Flight Canadian team. But some people are missing. And I'm reading this issue. And I'm like... Wait a minute, where's North Star? Where's Aurora? What's going on? And then you find out that these Alpha Flight jabronis are working <laughs> with Canada's premier Department H to take out mutants. And they're working with Orcas. Oh. And and they're working with they're building sentinels and they're doing all this bad stuff. And I'm like, North Star and Aurora, we're on your team. What's going on? Um what's up with that? Um <laughs> Look, all I'll say is all is not as it seems with Alpha Flight. And uh, there's a little bit of a cliffhanger ending, a little bit of twist here on the last couple of pages that if you don't see coming, you don't know. You don't know our Canadian heroes. So um, really fun, you know, really fun to see these characters back, um, get in the limelight. Um, and obviously, given their connection with mutants like Wolverine, North Star, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, Aurora, like it's so wonderful to um to have this this bit of the canon fleshed out a little bit uh also read uncanny avengers number one jerry duggan and uh javier garon um the fall of x calls for the return of the avengers unity squad i'm just gonna stop there does it but anyway Like, I, I look, I get it. I get it. You know, we got to make Captain America feel important. Uh, <laughs> um, but look, so like, yes, I get it. At Fall of X, Hellfire Gala, like Orcus frames the mutants. It seems like all these humans died. And the Avengers, Iron Man and Cap do the right thing. And they're like, listen, Rogue. And some of you other X-Men, like we need to get the Unity Squad back together to really put a, a, a forward face and say that what Orcus is doing is bad. So I'll give I'll give them credit for that. Um, I will say the team is Captain America, Rogue, and then Deadpool, Quicksilver, uh, yeah. Psylocke, and Monet. Look, Ooh. I am. I, Monet. I yes. love Monet, but she's all running around in, in her penance form, which is also that. pretty cool. No, I don't um, love that. Quicksilver is not a mutant anymore. He's a mutate, right? Yes. So, like, whatever. Yeah. Um, well, they keep going back to that whole and also, like, why is Deadpool in this book? I don't. I don't, know. I don't get it. I don't get it. You, you're not gonna. You're not gonna have like Alyssa Wong Deadpool here. You're not gonna have that kind of like. Like fun, you're not gonna have that fun Deadpool here as part of this team. <laughs> Maybe he'll be like crazy Deadpool, like he was in Uncanny X Force, but I doubt it. But anyway, um, they do some, you know, Captain America and Quicksilver and Rogue. They show up because they find um, Psylocke and Monet, kind of really like 
rescuing mutants. That's what all these books, the through line has been like rescuing mutants. You have these groups of X-Men that have survived the, the fall and they're just like gathering as many mutants and saving as many mutants as they can. Captain Krakoa is got a new mutant liberation front and he's got the, the fascist Fenris twins, the Von Strucker twins. He's Ooh. got wild side and he turned blob, but blob is just there. Cause he thinks he's following Cyclops. It's so sad. But anyway, I was on Team Blob at that one comment, though. I know, I know. (laughs) Um, So, you know, it's a really interesting book because when the Unity Squad shows up and finds Psylocke and Monet doing their thing, Psylocke is straight up like gutting dudes, like cutting (laughs) off their heads, cutting off their arms, like slaughtering people. And Steve sees this. And again, to Steve's credit, I suppose... He's like, look, this is war. Like we are in wartime now. And it's a yeah. really interesting, it's a really interesting twist on something that Steve has kind of always been like, we don't, we don't do that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But there's something about the desperation that yeah. this book and all of these books have really kind of put forward that to see even Cap not chew Psylocke out for cutting some dude's arm off oh, is really was, interesting to see. She was daring him. <laughs> She was yeah. like, I wish a bitch would Honestly, say something. It's, it was just really interesting to see. Now, there's a lot of theories as to who the Captain Krakoa is. There's an opening scene where Modoc and Sinister, or not Sinister, Modoc and Stasis, Stasis are like yeah. reviving some dude, some some like white buff dude from this pod. And everyone's like, who is he going to be? Um, John has some theories. I got some theories. We'll see where the series goes. Um, but I think Uncanny Avengers is a, contrary to my first little joke about it, you know, whether the Unity Squad is actually necessary. Um, I think it's going to be a fun book, especially under Jerry Duggan's pen. So already caused cap and arm and a leg. Ha! Oh, <laughs> boom. Uh, and finally, Dark X-Men number one. This was Steve Fox and Jonas Scharf. Um Dark X-Men, really interesting book. Carries on the legacy of like Zeb Wells' Hellions, which I really liked. Inferno, Excalibur, New Mutants, Children of the Atom. All of those X books that like became slightly less important in the wake of like Immortal and X-Men Red and the adjective X- adjectiveless X-Men book as well. Um, they all kind of really come to a head here in the fall of X. Madeline Pryor is running a limbo embassy because she's the queen of, of limbo. She <laughs> she's And she's offering all the kind of like gnarly for lack of a better term, Morlocky mutants, uh, uh, sanctuary from Orcus in this embassy. And she makes a team out of them, right? She's got Havoc. She's got Emplate, Emplate rather, uh, Monet's twin, uh, Matt, uh, Zero from the, from the, um, Generation X book, um, Azazel. Um, and they all team up to save gimmick. Who's a character from, uh, the Marvel Voices Pride book that I know, Aaron, you read, and uh, from Children of the Atom by Vita Ayala, which I love. So to see Gimmick back is awesome. Um, and if you think this book is weird, it's because the Dark X-Men fight an android Wolverine named Albert. And that's pretty much the action <laughs> of this book. Yep. Um, it's a really cool, like, Dark Aliens, um, uh, uh kind of twist on the kind of heroic handsome beautiful x-men book that that we had with uh, the adjective list run so um it's cool again it's a really interesting book in that 
contrary to X-Men Red or X-Force or some of these books that have been ongoing stories, you know, Dark X-Men, Alpha Flight, Uncanny Avengers, the books coming out this week, Realm of X. Like these are clean number ones that are showing you explicitly what is the fallout of the Hellfire Gala. And Dark X-Men, Uncanny, and Alpha Flight have such clear premises that they're going to be, I think, really special uh, miniseries. And that's me. So, so the books that Steve was looking for, these three. <laughs> Honestly, yeah. yeah I do feel bit. bad because, like, these are the books that I think if he's looking for, you know, the X-Men on the run after the Hellfire Gala, mm-hmm. this is where it's at. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's a lot of fun. I think I was – I was hesitant on Uncanny Avengers because I dropped off that book back when Remender was doing it so hard. Uh, so much so that when John was like, and then Jerry Duggan done a, did a second volume of Uncanny Avengers. I was like, since uh, when? I must have like <laughs> blacked, blacked that name out of my head. Same. Uncanny Avengers, no way. Um, but this book I thought was a really cool. And again, it's such a clear line from where Hellfire Gala ended to this. That again, Steve would have loved that part. Yeah, the fallout is clear, and the reason for it is clear. And to see Steve let Psylocke and Monet do what they do, and I'm and like it's going to be the same thing if Shadowcat shows up. Like yeah. when Shadowcat butchered all those guys on the top of that in X Men Twenty Five, and all of us were like, that was a little extreme. The takeaway of like, but you forget that she just like survived literal genocide, you know, like Mm -hmm. what would that do for her is very interesting to think about. And again, I don't think Steve is saying like Psylocke, you're morally right here. I think it's more of a, this is wartime and it's not my place. Yeah. It's not my place to, it's like, uh, I look again, we're going to go back to the same thing. It's like, if you, Take the survivors of the, the shooting at the black church. Yeah, uh, Amy. Kobe, yeah. yeah, thank you. Um, and then had some blonde hair, blue white, white guy come in and start speechifying to everyone about how they should feel about it. It would clearly feel like you are, this is not, you don't have context for this. You can't come in and judge me for the, how about how I feel about it. Don't, don't talk to me about how to deal with something that's not in your, it's not in your world. And I think that's kind of the vibe that I was getting from Monet when that one scene, she was literally just like, I really want you to say something to me. Like you don't, you have never, like you are literally the epitome of someone who has never had to live this struggle of someone trying to wipe, not to say he hasn't fought battles, but he has never lived a struggle where people have literally tried to wipe him off the planet just for existing. Yeah. Um, and I think that's kind of where he I think this is probably one of the first times I've read a Steve that a cap that that gets that. Yeah. Um, and it's not trying to speechify to them to to bring them over to the light. And no, we have to do this with kid gloves on while this conglomerate, this Illuminati of, of evil geniuses continues to hunt you. Yeah. You know, and kill all your people. Uh, and I think that to 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 Steve's credit. And like again, it's I don't think it's out of line with his character. His response is like, what I can give you yeah. is a mission. Like mm-hmm. I can give you a Make direction a for that anger, you know? Yeah, there's a purpose. And and yeah. I, I think that's a really good mm-hmm. use of this title, and it's a really good use of this team. And I think that it's a weird team, but I'm eager to see how they what they do with this Krakoa character, Captain Krakoa character, and I how will they say, un- yeah. I wish 
The only wish I have is that it not. I want all the the beats that we just talked about to exist. I wish Rogue had been the one to start to get the band. I wish she was a central character. Yeah. To bring this together and use Cap for what he can bring to the table for all those for those those beats that yeah. we talked about. Um, I wish it wasn't centered around Cap in that I'm, that sense. But I'm also confused about Quicksilver. I, I just same thing with Scarlet Witch. Like I love both of those characters a lot. I just I, their status is so weird. Well, they I'm talked just, about yeah. They I'm talked so about confused. it in the Scarlet Witch book. They basically said, yeah, she's she's not a mutant. She is. They, she was a mutant. She's got. A magical mother, and she's got the. And they basically said her powers were increased and augmented by the experiments of the high evolutionary. So they 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 basically clarified said she's not a mutant. They are not a mutants. They are um, mutants. Basically, exper- Yeah, experiments. You know, she had uh, the impression I got was that Quicksilver didn't have powers, but was given powers. She had powers. But those powers were augmented and increased by the high evolutionary. Yeah, it doesn't explain why Quicksilver looks exactly like Magneto. But that's you know, a, yeah, that's a thing. That's correct. That is a thing. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, that's just. Yeah, Alpha Flight. I'm sorry. No, Dark X Men. Yeah. I'm just gonna say this. I felt this way through say Hellions. It. I feel this way now. Alex Summers is a fucking mess. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Bob, you don't understand. There's a back like a bonus story oh. in this issue and it's like a week in the life of havoc and like every day of his week is just like i don't know who i am oh. i don't know what my oh, life yes, dear. is whatever like, you yes, need dear. Dear. whatever you need madeline Pryor. i will do whatever you need i thought we oh. talked about not killing so many people dear <laughs> yeah. oh my god i was just like no wonder scott didn't talk to you you're a mess yeah it's you're hard just... when like scott summers is your older brother and your younger brother was emperor of the shiar empire <laughs> Is, uh, exactly. I was like, his mutant power is dying violently. I mean, that literally is. Because I'm just like, oh my god, when that what? happened in this book, oh. I nearly lost my mind. Who turns their head to have a conversation in the middle of a battle <laughs> when a stabby Wolverine is slicing people up left and right? You turn to chit chat with your lady. Yeah, come on now, you deserve to be gutted. Anyway. <laughs> Who's um, that Pokex mod? Oh it's Madeline Pryor. Yeah. <laughs> I was just like, I did the story itself, and then the backup. I was like, you're a mess, dude. You're a mess. You, yeah. you really need to take your balls out of your purse for a second and just, mm-hmm. just, just please. So, Havoc, um, has he always been this way? No, He's a mess. See, yeah, yeah. The short answer is kind of yes. But there's been some really nice, bright moments for him. He had a whole run where he was off planet in a different universe. Mutant X, he was doing that for a long time. Oh. But when he came back, there was a there was a there was like a couple of years um, when he and Lorna were like pretty stable, and Havoc was like actually leading the X Men team. I want to say it was like Chuck Austin years, which is not a good time for the X Men book. But for the Havoc character, um, no, it wasn't Lorna. It was it was Nurse Annie, right? They were they were in a very kind of stable-ish relationship. Uh-huh. 
Um, so yeah, I think part of the problem with Havoc is he's often so defined by the person that he's paired up with. And as you could tell, like they made Lorna Polaris crazy for a while. And Maddie is not the most stable character either. So Havoc is always kind of playing that frazzled boyfriend role. Isn't um, it also a little, I know we talked about this at one point before. It's just a little creepy that you're in love with the clone of your brother's, the love of your brother's life. It is oh, no, very creepy. I, it's, it, it's, it's absolutely very creepy. Havoc, that's why Havoc was on that Hellions team. There yeah. was like, I, I remember in that Hellions book, Havoc was like, I don't understand why I'm on this team. And everyone was like, we understand Havoc. <laughs> <laughs> like, you're the only one here. Yeah, because you're understand. a literal dumpster fire every you, second of every is. day. Yeah. Every day. I was just like, you you have to see it, Havoc. You have to see it. You're a mess. Yeah. But anyway, yeah. so, but no, I, I thought about you when Gimmick popped out. Question for you. What was Gimmick's friend's name with the glasses? Buddy. Why does her why why do their dad keep calling her her? You know, I thought I was wondering about that too because in the original, I haven't gone back to Vita's book, but I couldn't remember Buddy's pronouns. pronouns. I or thought kind they of were gen- they that, but I I you're right. I haven't gone back either. I haven't gone back, and I think when I I did, I just like searched the character because I was like, oh, maybe it'll just be like on their Wikipedia page or whatever, and it said it said she her on on that oh, okay on that page so i was like maybe maybe they don't present that way yeah yeah, yeah. so i don't know it was very interesting and again it's a book that i love children of the atom was cool but at the time it was so isolated you know it was right yeah. after the the hellfire that it was right after the hawks pox stuff mm-hmm. so it's 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 always great when those characters come back um but yeah i i, I flagged that too um but i it doesn't like I can't imagine that editorial would let something like that. Yeah. With a character like that. Yeah. And the same um, week as the uh, Marvel voice. As the voice. Of, yeah. Um, but I got to say the scene where the dad or whoever yeah. is like, there's a mutant in our house. Like yeah. that, that was like, I was getting like, this is what the X-Men were like. This is like, yeah. that's what the fall of X stuff has really done. It's really brought back that, yeah. that energy of what the X-Men books were and represent. Like, I was you, like Bob remembers this, the, 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 the ads. Do you know what your child is? Right. Like yes. in, in some of the books is mm-hmm. like, is your child a mutant kind of thing to see that back in the X-Men books is it's jarring and it's scary. And um, mm-hmm. it's part of the ethos of the book, especially when they're like, Dad, how could you? You've known them for years. He's like, sorry, I got to protect my family. And I'm just like, you didn't even give a thought. Yeah. Like, so yeah, that, that I was, I was seething just at that, that little scene. Uh, So yeah, but yeah, it happens in Alpha Flight too, you know, like that same kind of scene. And uh, it's, it's, it's scary, especially for longtime X readers, you know, to see that back. I thought Alpha Flight was beautifully drawn. I thought I, I really I I like the art in that a lot. Um, again, I was see the because I'll be honest with you. What's the um, the leader of Alpha Flight? Guardian. Guardian. Thank you. His power is all in his suit, right? I think so. Yeah, I'm pretty sure his power is all in his suit. I was just like something about him is just grading me, just like just grading me the wrong way. Um, 
but I I kind of suspected as we were going through, I was like, I kind of suspected that twist. Um, it would be interesting if that that twist actually manifests itself because it would be interesting to see that play out. Like uh mm-hmm. like when this is all resolved, can old friendships be mended? Will that yeah. be part of the lasting legacy of the fall of X? You know, who supported versus who didn't versus what you know what I mean? Uh but I, I kind of suspected that little yeah. twist. But yeah, where's Spider-Man at? What's what's yeah. how's Spider-Man dealing with the fall of X? That's yeah. what I want to know. So many things. <laughs> so many things. But yeah, I, I enjoyed Alpha Flight. Cool. All right, yeah. let's do Blue Beetle. All right. The latest edition of the no, it's not. It's not the latest edition of the DCEU. Is it the first edition of the DCU? Who knows? I don't even know. Who knows? I read an article that said the later. I I read an article that said the later. So I'm like, what I read was that Blue Beetle is a holdover from the DCEU. But correct. the character of Blue Beetle will appear in the DCU. That's probably more correct than, than yeah. what I read. So Blue Beetle, directed by Angel Manuel Soto and written by Garrett Dunnett Alsocer, starring Sholo Maradueña as Jaime Reyes, a.k.a. Blue Beetle. Also in the film as various characters, some of whom I was not expecting, but all of whom I loved were Adriana Borazza, Damien Alcazar, Elpidia Carrillo, Bruno Marquezine, uh, Raul Max Trujillo, George Lopez, Melissa Escobedo, Harvey Guillen, and of course, Susan Sarandon, who I did not know was in this movie. And then she just rolled up. (laughs) Well, I guess I just like didn't watch the trailers after the first one. And I just kind of forgot what to expect. Um, No, she's going to be at NYC. CC specifically for this movie. I saw that and I was like, is she? There's a strike going on. But anyway, I, um, <laughs> I got to say, I, I'll just do a quick summary for those that haven't listened before. We'll talk about Blue Beetle, just kind of a quick roundtable general. Then we'll do spoilers and then we'll get out of here. Uh, but we'll give you a clean mark. Um, I got to say first, I'm glad I read Graduation Day because Same. I was semi-familiar with the tone and basic tenets of Jaime's story. Um, But generally, like we open with Jaime just graduating from Gotham Law and he's returning home to Palmera City, which is being gentrified one block at a time by Cord Industries. Things aren't going well for the Reyes family. So Jaime goes job seeking and bing, bang, boom, ends up accidentally in possession of the Blue Scarab. Hilarity ensues. That's all the plot I'm going to give you. Here's what I'll say about this movie. Here's what I'll say about the movie. I ultimately, by the time the credits rolled, ended up really enjoying this movie and really enjoying this take on the character. Um, The second half of the film for me was much better than the first half. Not saying that the first half isn't good. You know, I get it. A lot of the, a lot of the takeaways from blue beetle so far have been like wins for representation and elevating, you know, Mexican American kind of, identity and culture in this character and in this story. And a lot of the first hour is really dedicated to fleshing out Jaime's family, but so much of it felt a little by the books. And and I just couldn't, I couldn't get a sense of, I couldn't get a sense of the, the purpose of everything. And even when he got the scarab and got his powers they do some of the kind of very formulaic, like new hero beats too. something happens halfway through the movie that um, is shocking and like graphic. And I was like taken aback by, 
Um, but then from that point on, even like for me, the soundtrack changes, it becomes a little bit more eighties synth and like the energy of the movie changes. And he, and as, as you watch Jaime really step into the role of blue beetle, the second half of the movie just like took me away. And I just like thoroughly enjoyed it. I was crying by the end of this movie. The last like 15 minutes had me in tears. It was great. Um, something about the first half, maybe it was the pacing, maybe it was the, just how, how stretched out some of those scenes felt. Maybe, I don't know, just something about that first hour kind of was tough for me, but if you stick it out, you end up with a, a really great, um, great origin story for, for a really cool character. Um, Bob, how'd you feel about it? Exactly the same. Uh, seemed as if the, up to that point you're talking about, we'll get into what that is. And even that itself, it's very generic superhero. And there are things floated into it, the family element, the, the cultural aspects of it, that it's, it's a wonderful flavoring to it, but it's still sort of, oh, where's this going to go? Uh, great. It's, it's a better looking, more fun version of Shazam because we have the family thing. Yeah, And then when it takes off, you're just so invested because they have set these characters up and his entire family uh, love his grandma, for instance. Yeah, yeah. She's just a, just a piece of work. But every his sister and, and uh, Jenny Cord, Susan Sarandon's a fun, chewing-the-scene, mustache-twirling villain. And, of course, she thinks she's right. Uh, if I have one complaint in the second half, we have a, a generic superhero battle between a villain and a hero who have the same powers. Yeah. Again. I clocked that. <laughs> yeah. So we haven't seen this one before. We haven't uh, seen this one since Iron Man 1. And Ant-Man <laughs> 1. And, you know, um, the thing of it is, though, because there, he has a, uh, he has a crew with him, th- there are sidebar things we can be watching. They're like, okay, it's not... 20 minutes of brown and orange beetles fighting each other. Yeah. Robot There's something fight. else going on. I, I enjoyed the heck out of it. And I, yeah, I had tears in my eyes at a lot of moments in the second half. The crowd was pretty big for a Thursday in the theater. I saw it in and everyone was cheering at the end and having a great time. So I, I think people are enjoying it who go who take the time to go see it. Sure. Just haven't been many of them so far. And that's too bad. Yeah. By Sunday, I saw it on Sunday morning. I think there were six of us in the theater. Wow. Yeah, um, Aaron, how'd you how'd you feel about it? <laughs> so I, I I also read Graduation Day. Uh, actually, I read Graduation Day literally the night after our last recording. The night of our last recording, like I just like opened it up and was like, yeah, let me go through this. And next, you know, it was like you know midnight. And I'm like, oh, okay, I guess I'm done. <laughs> um, I did not hate this movie. Nice. Um, this is I did not, bar I, set. <laughs> I did not think this was a horrible movie. I thought this was a basic movie. Yeah. I thought that the characters were archetypes that were fill in the blanks. Um, in the beginning, I should preface that. Um, I I think Susan Sarandon w- was very much leaning into her. I think she went to the uh, the Halle Berry Sharon Stone uh, characterization acting school for her uh, villain scenario. It was very sort of paint by numbers. I'm gonna gonna put on this fake mustache to twirl. Um, I'm gonna play this devoid of any empathy or anything at all, um, which was was a little 
much at times because I was just like, all right, now you're just making yourself a cartoon character. Um, but I, the good things, I loved the family relationships. Um, even though, again, they were archetypes of the individual characters. You had the the annoying sister and the doting parents and the crazy the funny, feel. <laughs> the, yeah, yeah, exactly. The fate, the crazy, the crazy grandmother, um, the crazy uncle who. Uh, I will say. He's a Mary Sue. He's a complete Mary Sue. Oh, okay. I love when he called him a uh, Mexican Doc Brown. I yeah, love yeah, my yeah. mind. <laughs> my thing, George Lopez was losing track of his accent <laughs> all throughout the movie. I was like, sir, it's a little thicker here and a little bit weaker there, but I see what you're trying to do. Um, I liked his mullet, rat tail, giant yes. beard combination, though. <laughs> I see where Good it was look. going. Um I don't think we got enough time to understand the individual characters of the family. So when all of the hilarity ensued and you had like the Scooby-Doo S chase scene in the caves, you know, um, I, I didn't know enough. I, I don't know. I felt like I wasn't, it did, it didn't naturally build to that to me. I feel like they, I think part of it was what threw me was they very quickly accepted the fact that an alien beetle fused itself to their sons or uncle or nephews or, or brothers back. And they were just like, all right, well, let's get some food. You know, he'll be back. I'll call 911. Someone should trigger that. You know what I mean? I was just sort of like, I don't, uh, what tone is this taking? In any event, that stuff didn't make me, you know, hate the movie. Um, I wanted more. I do think this was one of those things where all the great things that were, you know, in the trailer that were meant to get you excited were literally all the things that were in the movie that would get you excited. Sure. Um, I thought the actor who played Jaime was great. Um yeah. I, I I really think he he nailed that. Um I I love the visualizations of the Beatle. Um I, I love the eventual relationship. I think I really love that scene with the dad and the Beatle and the sort of limbo um sort of you spoiler, have to accept. spoiler after spoiler after you know, spoiler, no, after spoiler. Uh, there's no spoiler here there's no spoiler here um so in this sort of space of having to get Jaime to connect with the beetle uh to understand what to to basically connect with the beetle to begin to understand yeah. literally understand the beetle they're in Madeline um, Pryor's limbo embassy is what we're there talking you go. about there you go they're in Shake Shack um <laughs> but uh, but I there were really really great pieces. I do think like all of the 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 fight scenes. I think all of the him, you know, figuring out how the beetle works, were great. There were also parts that I was just like, this seems very Shang Chi. Oh, I was getting Shang Chi vibes. I was getting yeah. Spider like Tom Holland Spider Man vibes. Yeah, like the 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 whole bus thing. I was just like, did you literally just lift this out of Shang Chi? But whatever. <laughs> um. I, I would say this. I think you will enjoy this movie. I will 100% agree with the guys. I don't think it's not a complicated movie. It's not a movie that's going to trip you up with gotchas or, you know what I mean? It yeah. is very straightforward. It is it, it is what it is. Well, you know, you will know yeah. what it is. I don't think you're going to be surprised by anything. I think it's you're going to see a good old fashioned superhero movie, uh, but you're not going to see. Yeah. There is no threat that this is going to end up on an Oscars nomination list. Is all I'm saying. Um, <laughs> just, there's, there's, my, uh, I, 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 I'm with you there. It is a, it is a kind of classic by the number superhero uh-huh. movie. But for me, I think something happens in the second half of it where 
the the soundtrack changes the family is involved in such a way yeah. the the sense of humor changes and it just feels almost like a totally different film that's that that does set it apart to some degree i don't think it attains the heights that i think it could but i think especially compared to some of the other dc offerings and frankly mm-hmm. some of the other marvel offerings that we've gotten recently too like I, there's something about the end of this movie that I think is or was special. And um, I don't know, maybe I need to watch it again and see if like those that is actually earned or if I was just kind of like in the stakes of the the yeah. last act of the film, which I think is is really cool. But yeah, anyway, like I don't think it was earned, but I don't want to yuck on someone else's yum, as you said. Yeah, um, I think it was because I think it was a fun movie. I did enjoy myself. Those scenes. And I agree with you. The second half, I do think the first half was just a little slow for me. It's sort of just like him coming out of school and then immediately being branded a failure. Um, <laughs> that was kind of weird. But you know, I do think that that sort of build up was a little slow. the The relationships were a little odd. Um, I think when all that stuff was put to the back burner, we focused on the relationship with him and the Beatle and all that stuff. I think that's when it became a better movie for me. And that's when it became more fun for me. Um, and, you know, and led into that. I don't know yeah. if my tar- my heartstrings were tugged at the way your guys is were. So maybe yeah. I do need to see it again and maybe just sort of look at it with different eyes and different perspectives. Um, I don't think it gave me enough to tug at my heartstrings. Um, I think um, it was, I, I loved how much that family cared for. Well, there was the one scene that tugged at my heartstrings, but there was, I, I, I loved how much that family cared for each other. I loved, uh-huh. you know, this closeness. Um, I also loved the relationship to the neighborhood. Yes. That yeah. that meant a lot. Um, a, a sobbing. Sobbing. Yeah. A sobbing. That, sobbing. That meant a lot. That was really, really, really great. Um, because there, the obvious thought is when, when things... I was just saying. Well, say well let's conclude. get to it. Let's get to it yeah, because yeah. That's, that's where, that's where yeah. I want to yeah. go. Let's get to it. Go spoilers, ahead. spoilers, spoilers. Three, two, one. So the moment, and I don't know, Bob, if this is the same moment for you, but the moment where the movie finally settled for me is when the family is the family is attacked in the house. Yeah. By the yeah. cords, the cord troopers, and Jaime is yeah. away, and he has to get there, and then um, obviously that the home accidentally intentionally burns down and of course Jaime's father um has the heart attack right and that moment for me is when the movie all of a sudden the movie had like real stakes that weren't mm-hmm. just like there's gonna be another robot fight what? which is I was like in that first part of the movie I was like all right Susan Serena is trying to make a robot and it's like okay the Jaime is gonna be a robot in a blue beetle suit and he's gonna fight this robot blah 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 you know um, but when the stakes became the family was threatened and you had spent the first hour with this kooky family who's so close and the scene where they all when he gets the scare for the first time and they're screaming and running around the yeah, kitchen yeah. like that, like you, you feel the connection, even though, yes, some of those scenes were a little drawn out. Some of them, to your point, Aaron, were playing with kind of archetypes and stereotypes, obviously, as well. Um, when the when the family is hit, the way that they are hit mm-hmm. in that scene, that was rough. That was hard. That was a hard scene to watch, especially like just the kind of implications of a raid on a 
Mm-hmm. Mexican American yeah. household, That's why like, it was rough. yeah, I, it's like those connotations were obviously intentional, and 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 it it was really difficult to watch. And then what follows when Jaime is taken and the grandma played expertly by Adriana Barraza is like we need to go get Jamie or the mom says like we need to go get Jaime, you know, like we no this grandmother she's like we we don't have time to cry we don't have time to cry and and they and they're like we have to go like that was such a i was like of course in this movie that's what's going to happen but to watch it happen to watch the family yeah like suit up and go in the like all unpowered people like like go into this flying beetle and try and go save the day was a really like fun second half of the show and you have like the 80s like let's do it and i was like this is fun and this is cool and i wish we had had that kind of like strangers things like 80s energy especially because all the color is like neon purple and blue anyway like i do wish we had kind of had some of that 80s action adventure feel to this film throughout which i think a lot of the first half missed um it just when struck me when we finally start into that '80s vibe. Is it because they're in Ted Cord's Beetle? Thing? Well, that's what I was going to say, and I yeah. think Aaron, you were saying like some of it felt cartoony. I think when mm-hmm. when when Grandma lifts up that like multicolored yes. railgun, <laughs> and and Milagro is running around with like glow up fists. I'm like, this. There is something cartoon. There's always been something cartoony about Blue Beetle. Yeah. And I think that second half of the film leaned into it a little bit more. And I, I do. And I think that really made the energy of that second half click for me in a lot of ways. So they go through all the adventure. And at the very end, when, when, when grandma is like, we can cry now, I was like, we can't yes. cry now. We yeah. can't we cry can. now. We all can. And, and then they I get will... home and the family comes to help them rebuild yeah. their house. And I was just like, I, I couldn't. I that the last like 15 minutes of the movie, I was just losing yeah. my mind. Yeah. Because the obvious thought was, you know, well, clearly Jenny Cora can just come in now. She's a CEO and just buy them a new house anywhere. But then that yeah. would have been just, you know, they were leading into the whole gentrification, blah, 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 get out of my neighborhood so that, you know, whatever. Um, I will say to the point you're making about the Ted Kors stuff um, and going to the house and all that, I was a little frustrated every time Rudy basically said, okay, move over, let me take care of this. <laughs> I was just like, but you don't, you don't know this stuff and this is her dad. So I wanted her to be the brilliant one. Yeah. I wanted Jenny core to be the brilliant one who understood how everything worked and who was able to sort of activate and give everyone. And I, I was perfectly fine with him being sort of like the engineer behind, you know, like really cool, you know, like a, a talking board, like a, a sounding board for her. I would have loved that. But it, it just does seem like they relegated her at some point to just being like a social media you yeah. know, darling, and it didn't. And to being the love her, interest, yeah, and they didn't give her any depth. That yeah. frustrated me a little. I bit. I agree. There was something about the Jenny character and the Jenny actress also a little bit that, like, some a piece of that was missing. Was missing something was yeah. missing. Yeah. Um. I don't know. I think the only time I really believed the emotion that she was giving was when they had finally gotten Jaime back and they were on the they were on the ship and the family was hugging and she was oh. sort of off to the side oh. and crying. Um, that was like the first real emotion I felt like I had seen from her before yeah. that. It was almost like she forgot where she was. 
um, for a couple of scenes. You you know, usually in these movies, and this is the thing that I really liked about Blue Beetle is, and and again, it's the thing that sets it apart. Usually in these movies, whether it's Spider-Man or Superman or whatever, they're, the family is a liability and they're like running to save them or like, you know, rescue What Martha, where's my mother? You know, like, and what I loved about this movie and what set it apart is in the second act and the third act, the family were the heroes and Mm -hmm. Jaime was the damsel, like locked up and getting his powers drained and all that stuff. And to watch that play out, Actually, like for a movie that is otherwise fairly by the book superhero, you know, like the freaking training scene where he flies up in the Blue Beetle into atmosphere. I was like, did you just take the plates from, mm-hmm. you know, Iron Man, Iron Man. 1? Like, <laughs> like, like, are we doing this again? Like so much of it did feel kind of yeah. formulaic. But the second that happened, when the family became the heroes, I was like, this is the movie I wanted from the beginning, you know? Um, yeah. And, you know, maybe it's just like maybe it's just a tonal thing. And you do need that first half of the movie where you get to meet these characters to really er- like get those stakes in the second half. But I don't know. There's just something off about that. That first half of the film that that I don't know, maybe I need to watch it again when it's on HBO Max to like really click into what what's what's off about it. But it, the second half really took off for me. I also think so. There's a couple things. Um I think creating the visuals was really good here. I think the the suit looks great. I think the the the, the little backstory on Cord Industries that you got that that sort of setting up that world and sort of having it go across time periods it opens up some doors for a couple of things, and we'll probably talk about that when we get to the post credit scene. Um, but there were a couple of things. Um, that were inconsistent to me that I, I hope are, if we see another incarnation of this, are sort of resolved. When Carol Pax was beating the snot out of him <laughs> and was clearly about to kill him, but he kept telling Kazade not to not to do anything. It's like, we're not killers. I'm sorry. Here's what I'm going to tell you. If it's a choice between somebody whooping my ass and killing me and me whooping theirs... I'm going to choose me every time. <laughs> well, my problem so. with that is that the whole not killing thing was fine. And I'm I'm there with that, especially with these younger heroes. But then there's a couple of scenes where like George Lopez is driving the monster beetle and like mm-hmm. impales a guy. Mm-hmm. And like Jenny Corp like blows some folks up with a grenade or something. Yeah. And I'm like, if you're going to, you're going to commit to that, commit to that. Because I think mm-hmm. that like, that is something I would love to see more in these hero movies where yeah. like, yeah, people like yeah. the heroes don't kill people, you know. Like, yes, I'm on board with that. But, <laughs> but you created these stakes where it's, and also I think we saw later, by the way the beetle the beetle was used, that you could have still defended yourself without killing him. But you literally just we found the scene of him. I think it was the fact that he just literally didn't lift a finger to protect himself and was knowing what was at stake, knowing that his uncle was trapped in the cart, knowing that Jenny was trapped in the cart, knowing that, okay, as soon as he killed him, he was going to go after them and probably sure. or whoever. I was like, why are you just laying there and letting this guy pound on you when you ha- all you have to do is speak it into reality and this beetle will, well, didn't know, will protect man. you? Just a so kid. Like, it just bothered me. But um, there were just some inconsistencies. But again, I will say, I, I ultimately did come out of this movie having fun. Um, yeah. I, I liked seeing the beetle you know, on screen. I I think what this will allow 
I mean, I'm really hoping that this creates, you know, opportunities for this character to come back in the future. We'll see. But I think what they learn from this movie will will hopefully inform future iterations of it and and sort of make it expand it a little bit and make it a little bit bigger and all that jazz. I don't want him to meet Batman. I don't want him to meet Superman. I don't want any of those cameos. I don't want Wonder Woman in there. I don't give a damn. I don't 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 bring those fools into this movie. Let this movie be <laughs> this movie because I will say the book that was the thing that irritated me. Uh. And uh in graduation day, I'm like, Batman is a dick. He continues <laughs> to be a dick. Well, that's in line with the character. And yeah. I'm sorry, Never Superman, changed. but why does Superman always think he can tell people when they can and can't be heroes? Okay, but that that's was, old... that bothered me. Superman. So I'm like, you you it was like you're grounded. I'm like, the fuck? What do you mean you're grounded? That doesn't happen in the movie. That's anyway, in the book. But so to the point <laughs> I'm making, I don't want any of them to be in there. I don't want there to be that student. Um I don't want them to Tom Holland Iron Man him. Um Okay. I I, yeah, I don't, I'm with that. I, yeah, I want him to be Blue Beetle and to learn it. Now, if we want to talk about the post credit scene, I'd love to see that. That yeah. cameo and that relationship that meant that relationship created uh, where we find out that Ted Cord is uh, alive. Which I was the whole movie. I was saying he's alive. I know he's alive. I know it's going to oh, yeah, be the post credit scene. Um, Who's it going to be? Yeah. Ryan Reynolds. Oh Jesus! <laughs> Army <laughs> Hammer. No, I'm sorry. Gosling. Uh, <laughs> um, cool. He could probably crap. do that. He could probably do. Ryan um, Gosling probably wouldn't be a bad. Um, but. Yeah, I like that Army Hammer. No, I don't know. No, um, no, no. Um, Actually, it could be, it could be Nathan Fillion. That'd be, uh, is he's playing um, what's his face? He's playing uh, Green Lantern in um, James oh, yeah. Gunn's movie. Yeah. Oh, okay. Uh, Bob, so, did you have any other thoughts on the movie? Well, I, I have this one. It, the movie to me played a lot bigger than its budget. It was about a hundred million dollars. Hmm. This was meant to be a screener. So. That that it shows you don't have to spend three hundred million mm-hmm. to get a, a good looking movie. Mm-hmm. And they use, yeah, there's a lot really of CGI. Good. It's used judiciously. It's done well when they do it, as opposed to making everything CGI. There's a lot shot on location, which is great. Yeah. And the suit was practical on set, of course, augmented with with yeah. visual effects. But like they had a practical suit. Now the sad thing is, since it only took in twenty five million dollars on its opening weekend, yeah, is yeah. there is there a future? I don't know. I, That's, that'd be too I, bad if there I, isn't. I think that there is. Why I'm do you be, think it didn't take in this money, that much money? Why do you Why do you think? Because there's no press right now because of the strike. That's true. There's very little marketing for anything. There's very little publicity for anything. Yeah. And again, totally. Uh, we're on board. We're yeah. on board. Of yeah, hundred percent. But you know, like the it's tough for films to to market themselves. There's that are so reliant on like press tours and like premieres and like, you know, that kind of thing. Cause I think the, the reviews for the film have been fairly neutral to positive. I don't think it's, I don't think it's like a bomb and critically. I saw several positive reviews. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Especially compared to uh, Shazam Fury of the Gods, which Mm. was, uh, Oh, this done much better than that or black Adam and, and those sort of things review wise, not even close. Of course. I think that, I I think that especially given the fact that the whole franchise is like rebooting a little bit, I think that it's easy for James Gunn and and Shafrin to say like, 
that is a cast and a character that has legs but maybe it's just the the holdover from the old yeah. regime is one of the things that mm-hmm. we need to kind of let go of so mm-hmm. i think especially uh sholo is so good as the character and so fun and and I, I again i just by the end of the movie i was just i was i was in i was like give us ted cord give us the yeah. sequel let's let's do it i think for the sequel i'm okay with carapax being gone um I I don't know if we need Jenny Cord. I think she could sort of be just like a opening credits. Hey, this is what I'm doing now on the other side of the planet. Uh, enjoy yourself, Jaime. Bye. <laughs> type of situation. I want it to be a Jaime Ted Cord movie that obviously has influences of his family in there, sort of balancing this Blue Beetle thing with his family. But I don't necessarily know if we need to to shoehorn every character back into the into the movie yeah. and i think it, it, i i would love to see that relationship again i i want to see jaime with his mentor ted cord i actually would love to see the the second movie being jaime rescuing ted cord i would love to see an adventure uh, movie just like yeah. indiana jones ted yeah. cord and jaime running around love the jungle that would be awesome um i want to throw this out there and not just because they're both insects but if if we're doing Jenny, Ted, Jaime, are we drifting into Hank, Hope, Scott territory? Uh, oh. Yes, yes, absolutely. But there's a very big difference between yeah. those three yeah. trios. Um, but again, like those, but that's also, frankly, and it's funny because I just watched Quantumania again this morning. And by watch, I mean, it was on in the background while I was doing work stuff. Um, like the best part about the Ant-Man and the Wasp franchise that made it different from all the other marvel stuff was the family component Mm, and the blue beetle is the same way and like it's it's something that makes the movie interesting quantumania failed because it was trying to be something that i think that the characters in the franchise just wasn't able to handle so like if the sequel to blue beetle is like blue beetle taking on dark side like that's probably not gonna work you know what i mean and i think that was the problem with quantumania but you watch those first two movies and the best parts of those movies is scott with young cassie and you know hope and and hank and like like those are the best parts of the ant-man movie and the best parts of this movie was jaime and the family like frankly yeah and it's what makes it special dr sanchez Oh, I love Harvey Guillen. Like he's such a great actor. If you watch um, what what we do in the shadows, the TV show. Mm-hmm. Oh, he's so good on that. So was good he necessary that. here though? No, but you know, it's one of those things where it's like Shang Chi was the same way, where it was like we got to get everybody in the movie. Same thing yeah. with like Black Panthers, like we got to get everybody in the movie. You know, we might get, yeah. we might only get one. You know, <laughs> this is like I was like, true, exactly, true, exactly. Because <laughs> I was looking, I was waiting for him to have a big, big scene, and I was like, oh, that was it, huh? Yeah. Oh, gruesome, okay. brutal. Yeah, I was like, that I was, was not expecting that splat. I was like, okay, yeah, yeah wow. Anyway, go see it, it's great. Well, yeah, I, did, I didn't hate it. Aaron said the bar was low and it, it surpassed it for him, so. yes, exactly. <laughs> but for Bob yeah. and I, I think we loved it a lot. Recommended yeah. to highly recommended. I liked it, I liked it, I didn't love it. Um, yeah, it's got work to do. Well, it's no, it's no uh, birds of prey, I'll give you that much. 
No comment. <laughs> Love that movie. <laughs> Love that movie. No comment. All right. Uh, past my bedtime. So let's do the books that we're interested in, and uh, then we'll get out of here. There was a Wonder Woman interview with Tom King. Bob has a whole rant that, you know, maybe we'll do publish in the time. show notes. Yeah, <laughs> we'll, do, we'll do it another time. But uh, books that we're looking forward to this week. I got an actually surprisingly long list. Um, we've already talked about a few of them. Gene Gray, number one. Realm of X, number one. Um, also, the finale to Captain America, the Colin Kelly um symbol of truth whatever whichever one that he was doing finale is what it's called captain america finale uh black panther three deadpool 10 daredevil and echo number four chris chaos three uh, and then a few graphic novels uh cam sukendry kim's got a new one called the naked tree um there's a new book from dark horse called lost boy and silver sprocket has one called of thunder and lightning all three of those look really interesting um and i solemnly swear the next time I'm on the show, I will read X Force. Okay, wow. I heard it here, folks. Uh, you heard it here. All, all forty-three. All forty-three. Oh. I, I probably dropped off around eighteen, but okay. <laughs> um, Bob, what are you picking up? Not much, actually. But Doom Patrol number five. I think it's five of eight. FF Annual one. We have Rocketeer Den of Thieves number two. Might try the Jean Grey and there's a storm this week too, I think. So I, mm-hmm. I may t- I have to take a look at those. That's um, the Anosenti book. I think it's up to three or four. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's, not really? okay. that's that's old school storm, correct? Yeah. That's Mohawk yeah. storm. Yeah. That's and not connected I, to anything. Nope. Okay. So I'll take a shot with that. Then I also have to get a look at, I have, I, we, we were sent an email about this. There's a book from Titan, I believe it is about the, Musician, poet, proto-rapper Gil Scott Heron. Yes, there is. So so I I do want to check that one out. I'm hoping Escape Pod has it on the shelf. Mm -hmm. He tends to have such things. Uh, Aaron, what you getting? So you guys said most of all the X stuff, the FF stuff. There's an Immortal Thor number one coming out. I got to read up on that and see what that's all about. Um, and then big game number two comes out, Dead Lucky Indigo Children Six, which is a finale, Chris Chaos Three. I think there's an image book that I'm going back and forth, the slub. Um yeah, number that. one that I'm I'm not sure yet, but we'll we'll see. We'll see what we come up with. But yeah, that's about it. Cool. All right. Yeah, that Gil Scott Heron book. Um I've had it in my hands for a while now, Bob. I'll put it that way. And uh, it's it's pretty interesting. Pretty interesting stuff. Um, All right. That's going to do it for this. Unless there's any other comments, Uh -uh. things. All right. Cool. Um, So that's going to do it for this week's edition of the Talking Comics Podcast. I'm doing this from memory because I can't find the notes. Here it is. Um, (laughs) As always, you can send us comments or questions through our email podcast at talkingcomicbooks.com. Um, we're on Instagram, we're on X, we're on Blue Skies. We're all, we're all, we're, you can find us, you can find us. Um, Bob, where can our listeners find you? Still the old fashioned email, Bob Ryer at talkingcomicbooks.com. Aaron, we're opening up our Friendster account again. Uh, AJ, Ema70. Yep, Steve is at dead underscore anchorist. You can find Chris at the myth of psyche places uh john and i incognito baby bear, 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 bear. Yeah. um you can also email me joey at talkingcomicworks.com um so for bob see you soon aaron wasn't so bad 
Oh, Steve's going to be all better for next week. Hopefully John and Chris will be here too. Thank you all so much for listening. Be excellent to each other. And until next time on the Talking Comics Podcast, to be continued. <laughs>